Hello, welcome to Intimate Discourse. My name is Jason. This episode, The Scarlet Letter, was recorded in Toronto on March 20th, 2022. We want to thank you for listening and really hope that you enjoy the show. Uh, in this episode, we want to take you through our COVID-19 vaccine decision path. We'd like to illustrate the timeline of events and expose what types of data were influencing our choices. One of the frustrations I've had during this whole experience is being unable to clearly express myself on the spot, particularly when speaking with someone who has already had their presumptions kicked into overdrive upon hearing that I didn't intend to get the vaccine. In my experience, in this day and age, when two people find each other on opposite sides of an argument who have been exposed to different and sometimes contradictory information, there is no predisposition to hear the other person out. Rather, the one ostensibly listening will guffaw, smirk, and otherwise silently judge after already tuning out most of what the other person is saying and begin formulating their own responses in their heads based mostly off a stereotypical summation of what they assume the other person's position to be not necessarily what their position actually is. So if I've made a choice not to get the vaccine, a plethora of other traits will have also been assigned to me by the person with whom I'm speaking. By virtue of my decision not to get the vaccine, I must subsequently also be selfish, right-wing, a conspiracy theorist, a Trump supporter, and possibly even a flat earther. It matters very little what I say when attempting to delineate my position, because no one who believes that the earth is flat should be taken seriously anyway which I don't, by the way, and for the record. Uh, and so the conversation, which has now rapidly evolved into a confrontation, unravels as predictably as you could imagine. Backs are up, platitudes are issued, and feelings of resentment and frustration fester and pop in little passive-aggressive outbursts. I truly think that the long-form podcast format is one of the last vestiges of a civilized democratic society. It allows the podcaster to fully express their ideas and engage with others on a level that is lost in many other forms of communication. Yes, the ideas only flow one way, at least during the podcast itself, but there is no immediate form of rebuttal for those who, that have committed to listen. You're forced to listen to the whole story. Sure, you could always flip to something else or even just tune me out while you spin on your peloton and dream of sun-kissed beaches and tiki huts, while my words drift helplessly through your ear canal and auditory cortex before being jettisoned out of your brain with all the other incidental stimuli. But at the very least, ego has been removed from the equation. If you're someone who is opposed to these nefarious anti-vaxxers, you won't feel the immediate, almost compulsive need to tell me how I'm wrong. Now, I expect that most of you will have already embarked upon your own journey down the COVID vaccine rabbit hole, because in the world of ideas, so often like tends to attract like. But for those of you that are listening to this who aren't predisposed to sympathize with our arguments, whether you're still on the fence about some stuff, or whether you're listening to this despite every fiber of your being screaming to you that it's all fake news, we sincerely thank you for your time and salute you. Challenging your own beliefs, especially when they've been reinforced by a heady media, always eager to pit one segment of society against the other, isn't as easy as it looks. In fact, I would suspect that by doing this, you're doing something that the majority of people don't do or do only very rarely, or after some cataclysmic awakening. After listening to us, you may remain unconvinced. Your mileage may vary, and you may be quite all right with that. What we're trying to do is simply show our side. We want to explain how we made the decision we made, not because of a lack of adherence to science, but rather the opposite, because we were following the very principles on which the scientific method was based. We used data, 
logic, and analysis to form our opinions, and we never tried to tell anyone else what they should do either, for the record. And with that, I would just like to say uh, welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Jason, and I'm here with Dimitri. How are you doing today, Dimitri? Hello, folks. Doing really well. Great to be here. So let's get started. I want to uh, go through talking about um, really like a timeline of events almost, just to sort of sum everything up. We're now, this is March 2020, 2022. Believe it or not. Eh, I can't. It's the future. <laughs> At a bit of a crossroads as to where to begin this, um, you know, I, I think the best way to do this is just to launch right into like, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the beginning of the pandemic, you know, those early days when we started seeing the, you know, the reports coming in from Asia that, you know, the numbers were up and mm -hmm. what is this new thing and uh, it will, could it come to our shores? Um, <clears throat> uh, I think maybe just because who knows when people will be listening to this, we might want to just kind of do almost do a recap and sort of paint a picture. Sure. Um, I remember in early 2020, I, I went down to um, right around the beginning when it was all starting, I think it was maybe January or Feb maybe January, February. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a sick relative in Sacramento and I went down and visited for a week and um, he passed away while I was there actually. And um, it was, you know, coming back, going into the airport on the way back, you know, it was pretty uh, harsh trip, but I remember somebody coughing mm. <laughs> sort of effusively in the uh, waiting area. And mm. I was just like, my God, I hope this person is not on my plane. Yeah. But it had, there hadn't been, I think there had been maybe a few cases that had sort of percolated through to the, you know, Western countries, but it was, it was really top of mind for me. I had mm -hmm. been following it since the beginning. Like, you know, I'm a big, uh, um, you know, when there's something, any, any kind of apocalyptic situation, I'm always, I'm always on top of. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I remember being, thinking at the beginning, like, I want to get back to Canada and just to kind of like hunker down almost. Yeah, like, I don't want to sure. like be in an airport basically. Um, and you know, that was really, I think the last time I have traveled anywhere since, you know, out of the country, uh, since then. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was my beginning. And, uh, you know, I remember even here, uh, in Toronto, um, I, there was a point where, um, you know, I stopped, I used to take the TTC to work and I, I stopped, I think as soon as the first couple of cases were in Toronto and, you know, I a lot of people called me crazy and I was like, you know what, like, I don't know what this is. And it's just a risk thing, you know, it's a risk analysis of it. Where were you in that? Like, where, do you remember that? Very, too? very similar. Like again, playing the long game and being, uh, early on a lot of these things, uh, Initially, probably around end of February, I started wearing gloves when I was pumping gas or going to the grocery state, uh, grocery store and whatnot. And uh, you'd see the occasional other person cashing out wearing gloves. And it's like, oh, there's some other people like me here. Right. <laughs> I'm not the us. only one. Some yeah. people is almost, you know, in terms of like signaling your tribe, like, look, like-minded people, you know. Mm -hmm. And you saw it sort of percolating through society slowly. And I was um, very quick. I had a lot of disposable none latex gloves around anyways to, just to do the nature <laughs> just, of my work just, you just know for, yeah uh, no and it was a very reason, easy right. entry level and um you know it seemed to be more touch oriented than respiratory at the time anyway so you were just like super super careful very early on mm -hmm. and uh yeah the story just kept evolving and i was uh, definitely watching uh, globally what was happening you know in countries um from from japan right through to the middle east uh, israel the uk sweden and then, you know, eventually us, we really were kind of like the last chapter, really, that yeah. um, it kind of swept the tsunami of this whole story over us much, much later than other places. So I was just trying to stay ahead of the curve and be really, really safe around my loved ones, around clients, around uh, 
anyone I interacted with. And uh, probably pretty quick on them when you would see people um, walking outside, standing too close to one another, you just kind of look at them and you're like, oh, that's a little dangerous. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> about that. Age. Yeah, this yeah. is a little crazy. You know, there's a, something going on here, guys. And um, just like I entered the story early, I probably also exited the story a little early too. Mm-hmm. So that's just my my default setting towards things. Right. So yeah, very much like you, just very aware, very cautious, um, aware of my surroundings and uh, the news and the virology and the emerging data. Mm. And, uh, you know, just um, being careful in all situations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, at the risk of uh, sounding like we're tooting our own horns, I mean, how do you, you know, like there are plenty of things I'm, you know, don't know about or whatever. Mm-hmm. This just happened to be something I was, I, I took an interest in mm-hmm. because I, you know, I, I, you know, I really like the movie 12 monkeys yeah, and like, yeah, there was a yeah. lot of that kind of uh, thing. I actually thought it would be hilarious if some 12 monkeys, people graffitied around Toronto, yeah. but alas, no one did. Well, a lot of times like these things do start somewhere and a lot of stories will happen and they just kind of peter out and you're like, mm. oh, I guess it never happened yeah, here. Yeah. And more times than not, they peter out. And, uh, but I, I just kind of sat back and I had the v- funny vibe, just the, the flow of information on the news, the headlines and everything. I'm like, I don't think this is going to be yeah. slowing down. I think it's actually going to be ramping up. Well, when it hit Italy, I think that was oh, uh, sure. sort of the, yeah. the ramifications of that kind of hit home yeah. for a lot of people. And then at that time too, we were talking about the direct link. Well, there was a fashion week there a week before and they had buyers from all around the world, you know, coming yeah, in and yeah. congregating and now spreading back to, uh, you know, taking the virus elsewhere, you know, trying to figure this out step by step uh which made you know shutting down the airports early really important too because like mm. okay so the easiest way to stop it from coming in is to stop anybody from coming in but uh, alas it got in yeah <laughs> and it got in probably despite any you know um it was inevitable that it would have come in mm. i you know i remember at the time being quite frustrated that the you know, Trudeau government didn't shut the airports down sooner because for sure. I, I thought that that was, sure. and I think New Zealand did, if I have yeah. my facts right. Like they, I think they yeah. were pretty quick on the ball. And with you know, it. you had and politics immediately like, oh, it's politically incorrect and they'll be deemed racist if you're stopping certain right, people right. from like, why does a virus care about your race? It's yeah, coming from yeah, a lot of, planet place A and it's yeah. landing in place B. Like that's all it is, you know. Yeah. Certainly if it started in Toronto, uh, the virus, I would fully expect other people to not let planes from Toronto land. Absolutely no right, problem, right. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, that's a little that's a little crazy. The whole the whole race card early yeah. on. I remember uh, was it Pelosi who went to Chinatown uh, in yeah. Um, you know, and sort of declare, oh, yeah. like everybody should be here, or whatever yeah, she yeah. said, and it's kind of like, well, I mean, you know, like like that's. That's great. Yeah, you politics our, started you right know. away. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. Um, you know, it was like it's not about politics; it's about a virus. Yet immediately, it was all about politics. Well, right. Not all about, but there was a ton of politics involved. Yeah, yeah, it was, and I mean that was at the height of you know, um, the sort of Trump versus the media thing. Yeah. So there was a lot of you know, the, the daily impeachment threats, yep, uh, everything yep. like that. Um, so, and you remember the nursing homes? How that was a big of course, thing. Of I course. remember my my grandmother died. Well, fairly recent, like a few years before this started, but I just remember thinking she was in a nursing home and like uh, near the end. And it was like, I couldn't even imagine. Like it would be like, I, you know, the people who had to go through that where they had relatives in nursing homes, and obviously the, you know, the people who were in the nursing homes, it's like, what a horrible way to go. And like yeah. what, uh, you know, as you've got this unknown disease and nobody really knows what they're doing and it's rippling through, you know, elderly people, like right away, you could mm-hmm. see that, especially in Italy. 
And, um, you know, you're really helpless against, you know, like, uh, you, you know, you can't sit with them at the end even. Helpless for sure. But at the same time, cracks started, you know, in, in terms of our response showing immediately. Mm-hmm. Like really, if you shut down airplanes right away, you're going to maybe be able to two weeks flatten the curve because you're just stopping all the, you know, a large amount of the transmission into your country. And that's what I think what got everybody on board. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it, within those two weeks, it still got in the country and percolated, percolated, and we're all closed here in Canada, at least 90 days or whatever. But um, and then you heard about the response in terms of retirement homes, and you could see early on, because a lot of people debate this, well, in the early days, we didn't really know what was happening. But even in Italy, in the north, when people were dying, they used to say a village a day, you know, um, the uh, age skewing, the risk stratification was really towards the elderly. Mm-hmm. So then you don't know much about this, but you're like, okay, that's interesting. Let's see where this goes. But thank goodness it's not affecting children to the same rate as those who've had a full life already. And um, yeah, and then when it came to our response here in Canada, you saw that people were being diagnosed, maybe hospitalized or whatever, but they were sent back to their retirement homes and long-term care homes. You're literally bringing the virus back into the place of which people are the weakest. Right. And... um, you know, we talk about quarantine hotels and separating those who can't be separated from physical distancing. That would have been the perfect moment for something like that to have been initiated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, hindsight 2020 and everything. I, I do think that, um, you know, that that was something, at least it's almost like if we get the same thing happen again, that would be one of the f- steps I would hope that, you know, I don't even know if that would be, you know, I, in my mind, that would be something, you know, that they would want to change next time around where it's like immediately sort of protect the people that are the most at risk, mm. everything else, like have your, have your, have your rules or whatever that you want to impose, but make that be a separate thing and mostly focus on the people who are most at risk. This is still my concern though. And I, I don't know if we've learned those lessons, right? You right. know, it was sort of one size fits all blanket approach is, mm-hmm. um, seems to permeate through most of what's going on. You know, when you get into that line of thinking, you drift more in towards the Swedish model or the Great Barrington Declaration, you know, focused protection, targeted, you know, move heaven and earth to save the elderly. Yeah. Um, I, I still don't really hear that for the most part coming from our officials. Right. So I don't know if we were to f- drift back into that today, if we would actually change our approach, unfortunately. Yeah, like with so much of this, it isn't even you know, you really do wonder what we've learned. You know, we've learned about the virus to some extent, but in our response to it and how we as a society sort of responded to it and responded to the subsequent, like, you know, laws or, um, um, you know, suggestions, um, yeah. they, we, I don't know, think we've learned. I, I think it's, we, we are still sort of in a state of, um, uh, almost like paranoia, tribal paranoia. And, um, uh, and that in itself has been, you know, quite politicized as well, or polarizing at the very least. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So you had uh, masks, the sort of, uh, you know, we came with that the social distancing, I'm just trying to yeah. still, you know, uh, paint the picture. Uh, so you had social distancing um, suggestions, and then, you know, implementation the grocery stores and everything like that, you stand mm-hmm. in line in no frills or wherever, mm-hmm. your grocery store of choice um, for, for a while. And I remember even going in the first time uh, into a no frills after this and thinking like, this is great. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I waited in line, but like, mm-hmm. I, I hated going into crowded grocery stores. Yeah. And now it's like, you have all this like space, space. around you. It's, it's, um, it's quite 
it's quite nice. And I, I remember thinking like, this is how it should always have been. Like, mm. this is like, this should be how society is. But then I was getting a little, maybe a little Puritan on, in the early days. Cause I'm like, this is a virus. People are dying. Like, my God, you have to do maximum amount to try to like save life. Mm. But you would see people waiting in line. Um, and this was before masking was really in effect. And they would be outside of the LCBO. And then, you know, posting on Facebook, you know, mama still needs her wine sort of <laughs> right. thing, right? Like, really? You need a bottle of wine so bad you're going to risk a contagion for? Right. You know, so you would see, like, um, uh, for me, like, so people not taking it seriously enough and trying to get on with their life in such a normal, what I would think, like, almost like a secondary. Like, obviously, it's, that's not an essential good for mm -hmm. most people, you know, having the well, alcohol. Well, speak for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that kind of stuff was, like, uh, irking me early on. It's like, guys, this is a this is a disease, and it looks like we're shutting down the planet, and businesses have been closed, and you're willing to stand in line for something that's really not all that essential for most people. I found that I found the uh, variance in what people decide, yeah. like their risk cost benefit analysis, wildly different, you know, that's interesting, because, uh, you know, very early on, um, you know, I, w I was taking precautions, like, you know, I wasn't taking the TTC, but I was still it was early on that I was looking at the stats where I was like, okay, like, you still have a pretty good chance of not dying from this. Like, mm -hmm. I, you didn't know about long COVID or anything yep. like that at that point. But I was it was it, I, I thought, you know what, I'm I have a, I have probably an overweening confidence in my own immune system. Like, you know, I'll be proven wrong for sure at some point. <laughs> like, it's just like, but hubris can only, yeah, but not yet. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I do feel like I, I, I feel like, you know what, I've, ne you know, I never get the flu vaccine. This is one of my reasons for, you know, I didn't want to get the vaccine where it's like, I, um, you know, I've never gotten the flu vaccine or at least if I did, it was like, you know, decades ago before I was making informed choices mm -hmm. and, um, and, and there's no real reason that I haven't been other other than just thinking I don't feel like I need it and I've I see people getting the flu vaccine and they still kind of get sick and it's like I know that there's different variants and I I'm not um it's not that I don't like get it like I get why people would want to get the vaccine I just don't think it works for me and I I, I don't I would rather my uh you know it's like I'll tell you what like one year maybe I'll get the flu and then I'll change my mind but mm -hmm. I haven't so like why would I change something that seems to be working for decades now mm. um but I, I do catch the flu quite often but i just accept it and just go through it right right yeah yeah, yeah so but when this thing came around i was like okay so it's a bad flu a really bad flu for some people mm -hmm. but but for for my part i was like i'm, I'm still gonna go to the liquor store like yeah. you know this is not a necessity but it mm -hmm. it's um you know I mean, it's hard. how else do you get through this thing? <laughs> it's like almost unimaginable. Uh, well, that, that to your point, everybody had a different anxiety level, a different uh, lifestyle, different living arrangements. Yeah. So again, I was probably approaching it from too much of a strict Puritan point of view early mm -hmm. on. Like, my God, this is literally like uh, DEFCON 5 now in the virology world. Yeah. And, um, but uh I definitely within 30 days could see that different people had different needs and that yeah. we had to approach this. I'd, I'd been, you know, to reformulate my thinking, you had to approach this in a much more personalized way and right. just sort of, you know, like let people live to a large degree, how they're used to living and how they need to live. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that my judgment was um, unfounded and um, really I should just be looking at myself and doing what I need to do to be safe and my immediate loved ones, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I would agree with that. I and um, sort of consistent with uh, what I what I think about a lot of things, where it's like you know everybody make their own decisions, be informed, don't be informed, like uh, you know, but um, don't tread on me, kind of thing. Mm. Um, we really um, getting into uh, you know, I think it was 
late 2020, I remember there being a big um, uh, fervor about the vaccines coming out and like, we have to, we have to hurry up and produce these. And, and, you know, when I first heard about this, I was like, yeah, good. Like, let's get the vaccines out. Let's whatever. Um, I, at the time, didn't know much about how long it generally takes to Mm -hmm. test these things or whatever. I just thought, okay, it's going to be rushed for sure. And, but you know, this is a pandemic. So if, but you know, focus your energies, drug companies and do your thing. I completely agree. When I heard like it takes normally seven to 10 years to create a vaccine. I was like, wow, really? I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, six yeah. months, nine months. I yeah, had yeah. no clue. It's not my specialty. Wasn't following the scene at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, and I never had the uh, EBGBs. Like this was a rushed product. I'm like, let the scientists do what scientists do. And um, if this is the right solution, let's apply it. Yeah. 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 yeah and I did, you know, I would, I mean, that really is when you think about it, I, because they came out near the end of 2020, didn't they? Yep. I mean, that was like, I mean, that's less than a year. I believe it's, Israel took their first doses December 19th, 2020. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's incredible, uh, incredibly fast. Um, so yeah, they came out and I, you know, I remember when they were starting to roll out and there was this big kind of, I don't want to say narrative because it just sort of implies some sort of, you know, conspiratorial purpose mm. or something but it's it, there really seemed to be this push in the media almost the the story was like thank god the vaccines are getting out hope we have enough for everybody almost yeah. pushing this like you know obviously you'd want it yeah. so you know let's um like 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 washing over the fact that some people might be well hey wait a minute what what is this again like yeah. um and uh that was never really that never the, vaccine skepticism never seemed to be uh any any kind of a thread in the mainstream media uh, throughout the when these things were ro- being rolled out, oh, it was no. like it's assumed you want it, you know. And a lot of momentum behind it, and uh, and you're right. And within like you know a couple of weeks, you know, I think at the first crack started the show where people were like, well, is it necessary for everyone? <laughs> you know, right, like, right. Um, let's look at the skewing and the risk stratification here. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not quite so sure yet. Can I get it in a year from now? Right, like, they right. They seem to be quite quickly the wiggle room was going to get a lot tighter and tighter and tighter yeah. on this, which has never happened in like pop modern culture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it was an interesting, you know, early on I thought to myself and you know, this is uh, you could argue a little selfish, but I thought to myself, yeah, like I'm not going to get it. I'll get everybody, everybody else will get it and I'll have herd immunity and you know, I'll, I'll be fine. Well, and that works since you're not really, as you probably knew at that time, not like center focused in terms, you were much more on the peripheral of, will I actually get hurt severely by this disease? Right, right. If you're at ground zero, then you might have a different analysis, you yeah. know? Yeah. So you had the luxury of not just knowing that other people who are more, like obviously with demographics, there's so many more older people today than ever before. So if they all kind of go, they by definition will create that circle of uh, immunity around you. Right. And since you're not part of the bullseye target zone of those who are getting sick, you had every right to kind of step to the side and let those who are most vulnerable go first. Right get it because they need it most and then just take a wait and see approach you get the luxury of youth and health yeah and well bless you with the youth comments sir. i mean <laughs> but uh, um the it's all uh relative. yeah it's all relative um the um i i remember you know i sort of encouraging my parents uh to get their shot because i you know they were they were going to get it anyway and they're old, a little older so it's like um, you know, it made sense for them to get it. 
and just continuing to watch, you know, the politicization of the the rollout and the, um, you know, and I remember there being some shortages and like, you know, did we overorder a bunch of vaccines? Because of course you dispose of them after X number of mm-hmm. um, weeks or whatever. Um, and yeah, so I don't know, it was mid 2021 rolls around, um, and I still hadn't had the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you hadn't had the vaccine nope, yeah. and what were the responses, um, that you were getting as that year rolled on, if you can remember. Well, my situation was interesting because our business was closed from November, 2020 till July 1st, 2021. And again, we were taking it very seriously. So we were not act- interacting with hardly anyone, just my wife and I in my house and occasionally um, taking a walk with my parents outside and uh, the odd coffee in the garage of lots of air ventilation, but not mm-hmm. even stepping inside their house and nobody coming inside our house. So we were like the definition of cocooning and like hunkering down. And we were researching, you know, I was, we were researching different uh, doctors from around the world, different medical associations around the world, different countries and their responses. And uh we saw around the time when it was available for our age group in Canada, me being in the 40 to 49 bracket, it really was like mid-June around that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Israel had been doubled vaxxed at that point, and they were starting to see an uptick in cases, which were resulting in an uptick in hospitalizations. And they had started the, uh, maybe we should have to give a third shot for those who are 65 and older. So that sort of information and knowledge, which wasn't really being conveyed on mainstream legacy media, made my wife and I just sort of pause and say, well, we have the benefit of very low numbers in the summertime uh, because just through natural fluctuations, it's going to drop. And our business, by definition, will be shut down if the numbers ever go higher. So we said we, we are in a very peculiar situation where we get shut down when we get 700 cases in a province of 17 million. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that was the threshold to shut down our business. So the chances of actually bumping into the virus were low and it was summertime as well. And as the story kept emerging, the more and more data that was coming through only created the barrier in which to get the vaccine to increase in size. Yeah, I was very, very, very close to getting it many times mm. um, online. Oh, look, honey, it's just down the road. We can get AstraZeneca. It's 1130 at a shopper's drug market. We'll go there and be finished in 20 minutes. That's fantastic. Like, I'm very sympathetic to everybody in this because, you know, I could have just by on a flip of a coin have gone and get it, got it as well. But as more and more data, so be it, came through, we're like, well, we have the benefit of time and I'm going to play the long game because... If I get vaccinated and regret it, I can never get unvaccinated. There's just so that's a short term game for mm-hmm. for a very potentially long term loss. Right. So if I want to play the long term game, I'm going to sit back and just wait for more data to come through, because once I do this, I can't undo it. Yeah. So that's where I was at. So let's um, actually take a look at some of that data, because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the skepticism against people who were um there's got to be a better what's the euphemism for an anti-vaxxer like there's got to be a better term to call people that vaccine hesitant vaccine vaccine hesitant yeah there you go you know yeah yeah okay so the um uh let's take a look at some of these stats uh and because i think there's a lot of um people have this idea uh, like one of the sort of criticisms about the vaccine hesitant is you know well what do you what what 
what are you people, what are you thinking? You're going against the advice of the top medical experts in, you know, in the country and, you know, and in the world, like everybody's, you know, seemingly everybody at the, the, the top brass is saying, hey, get the vaccines, your best protection. Mm -hmm. So the argument would be to the vaccine hesitant, what gives you the right to think that somehow you know better than these people? Because that, you know, by definition, if you're not getting the vaccine and they're saying you should, mm -hmm. you're, you're being a contrarian. Um, so let's take a look at some of the stats. Like, first of all, I guess, how would you answer, how would you respond to that? Somebody, somebody says that to you. I'm sure you've that had like that say hesitant. that to you a lot of the time. Yeah, no, um, to say to you, um, everybody else, all the experts are saying that you should get this vaccine. Mm -hmm. Why are you not getting it? True. Um, well, first of all, you have to like define an expert because there's, there's experts. Um, an expert who goes with a consensus is no more an expert who doesn't go with the consensus. So it's a funny situation we find ourselves in today because you can find a, a person who's a 25-year illustrious career in virology, but if they decide to go against the consensus, all of a sudden they're a rogue non-expert. Right. So via the internet and podcasts and just researching in general, you saw that there was actually, as there should be in a scientific community, a lot of... Um, contrary opinions on what is the best route to take. It was around that time that I actually bumped into that great Barrington declaration, which was all about focus protection and vaccinating pro-vax everybody who truly needs this and needs this in terms of severe hospitalization, uh, severe illness and hospitalizations. There was no talk early on that this was going to stop the spread. This is all about you get this vaccine, you're not going to end up in the hospital. So when you contrast that expert opinion against the messaging we were getting from our own local governments. Um, you know, it's not any different than wanting to go get a hip surgery and someone says you need to get your hip replaced and you go to get a second opinion from an expert and they say, well, maybe therapy might be the right, right way through this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know where we lost the ability to have a, a second opinion from qualified experts. And if you dug deep enough and turned off your television set, you saw there was quite a bit of different uh, diverging opinions on how to handle the situation. And then it didn't take much to to somebody who's vaccine hesitant. You say, well, what age group are you in? And if they said 65 and older and I have type 1 diabetes, you might want to say, well, actually, you know, cost-benefit analysis skews towards you getting the vaccine. You're certainly somebody who would be probably better off taking this. But when you would scroll down, and most countries and uh, municipalities had their own data on these things, Oh, look at that. I fall between 40 and 49. And even now, at two years into this, in my particular age bracket, 40 to 49, it's only 200 and so deaths in all of Ontario, which is 17 million people. 200 or so deaths in that age range? Yes. Hmm. So that's the age range that I specifically fall in. So that now still sounds like a lot, though. 200 deaths from between 40 and 49 in Ontario. Yeah, over a two-year period. Right. And Is, I, it, oh, that, is that just... In general or COVID-related no, COVID-related. Okay. And then we have to get into the incidental with COVID or from COVID. And mm -hmm. who are these 200 people? Were they malnourished? Did they have drug problems? Did they have diabetes, underlying health conditions? Right. So, But even if you take 200 as gospel, 200 deaths over a two-year period isn't enough for me to say anything needs to be mandated. It's a personal choice. And by all means, you should be able to trust your own medical associations. And if they say, this is the right solution for your health problem, 
by uh, you have of course on my point of view 100 percent uh support to go do that but i didn't mm -hmm. see enough to say you must do this so depending on who the person was if they were vaccine hesitant it would depend on their living arrangements personal health just like everything you know consult your doctor to see if this medication is right for you the one size fits all mentality that seemed to emerge early on mm -hmm. never seemed to fit any of the data that was coming through yeah yeah i mean one of the arguments i would give uh to the the how do you know better than the experts is is simply you know they they have their mandate and from their perspective trying to um you know take care of a whole population of people like the the simplest course is you know everybody gets the vaccine we'll we'll lose less people that way than we will the other way sure um so okay sure that's their thing but you have to think as an individual you're not you know we're coming from a different you know well, it's like the argument, like, you, you know, you talk to your doctor, your doctor is going to know you a lot better than, yeah. you know, the CEO or the, you know, the head of the CDC or the head of Canada Health. Uh, so it's the, the granularity of having, you know, like, I, you know, I feel like I know my own body more. I feel like my doctor knows it a little less, but is more knowledgeable about medicine. And then you sort of, it gets abstracted to a point where it's like, you know, the, the policies are so um, broad that it's yeah. like, you know, it doesn't fit into what I what I believe. You uh, certainly, yeah, you, we do. It does hit that crux where it's, is it an individual solution versus a population level based solution? Right. And again, I'm very sympathetic to the population level solution because you have to almost do a lowest common denominator, what's going to get mm -hmm. society through this. But to ten, then tell a 20 healthy 25 year old, you must do this or you can't go to school. Right. doesn't really seem to help society much. It doesn't seem to definitely help the individual much, at least not enough to say it must be mandated. Right. And that's well, the issue when you get into central planning. Like it just becomes the big idea is far more important than any nuanced truths that may come out in the meantime. Right. And so in order for the big idea to uh, be the overarching uh, goal of society, uh, certain truths have to be almost cast by the wayside. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I think, again, it's like if this had been something that, you know, because let's go over the let's go over these statistics for I mean, these are these these are the statistics that we were looking at, you know, in sort of early mid 2021 mm -hmm. um, in terms of making a decision whether we wanted to get the vaccine or not. Mm -hmm. And you know the stuff more than I do in terms of the actual I would always hear things anecdotally, but my memory is as mm -hmm. porous as a um Postative. So, like, I can't, um, you know, I can, I never have the, the, the figures at hand, but I remember it being over 99% survival rate for the average person. Am I wrong in that? No, or? not at all. And actually, the more testing we did, the higher the survival rate became. Because just by definition, you know, there was so many people that were not being tested and surviving it. So the right. more testing you do, the survival rate only increased and increased and increased and increased. You can actually see the same thing was true for SARS-CoV-1. So, uh, so the, sorry. Uh, the, so the more testing you do, uh, in the sense that, like, as time goes on, more people are going to have it and not be tested there. And I, I just uh, so if you if you can only do um, uh, X number of tests and that number is low uh, initially. Um, there are going to be, by definition, many people who don't know they have it, are in society, had it, survived it, 
Oh, I see. And it weren't counted as part of your stats. Right. So the people and the people who did have it and didn't survive it, that would be known. Whereas exactly. it would be an unknown if exactly. it was the opposite. So the okay. more testing you have, the more the survival rate goes up. Right. And, you know, you're normally, you know, not to try to quote a direct number on this, but you're going to find, depending on the age bracket and country and underlying, you know, there's so many different variables here. You're, we're into something of a 99.5 insert the next number it's usually another seven eight nine at that point survival rate yeah you know and certainly as you dip lower and you get into uh you know the under 18 crowd you're somewhere in the realm of 99.99825 right, or right. something yeah you start getting into the a- amazon aws uptime kind and of things I, yeah yes 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 yeah. And, ex- and again nothing to say it's worth mandating over you wish it it's there we have a solution Make your familiar choice and go get it if that's the right thing for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. But to mandate something over, I mean, I was talking to one lady who is from China and has been through these more centralized planning, and she's very happy to be in Canada. She took a much more extreme approach, and she said, well, unless 20% of the population is dying, I don't think the government <laughs> should ever get involved. It is right. your choice. There's the hospital, and fix the hospitals. And your life is your life, and the hospital is the hospital life, and mm-hmm. you do what is necessary for you. And although that isn't, I can see where she's delineating that you do have a certain amount of personal responsibility in this as the government has their responsibility. And to say all of a sudden now you must shut down your life entirely because the government and the hospitals weren't ready only works for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Ontario, we haven't really increased uh, ICU capacity and we're two years into this. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, I, the argument could probably be made that we haven't because we're still dealing with the epidemic. I mean, there's only so much, you know, if you're triaging and you're still dealing with people getting sick, then, and apparently um, a lot of the front care, um, what are the frontline workers uh, have all, apparently that's a sort of decimated population now as well, because Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily because they've all been wiped out with COVID, but Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them have um, just been like taking other jobs because it's like, well, this is too stressful or, uh, or, you know, like forced out or whatever because of mass mandates. But I don't know how big that, um, how, how big of a percent that is, but, um, it's, uh, so I, I, I could sort of be sympathetic with, uh, you know, let's wait till things calm down. We are we were unprepared for sure. And we can, you know, get into that, which, uh, you know, I do think there's a story there too, as to why we were unprepared, but, um, and I do think it's like government mismanagement and like a lack of priority to the things that are important. Um, but I would say that at this point, it's like, okay, you know, you know, now we've learned our lesson in that sense. So let's try to build better, you know, let's try to build back better, you know, let's try and get, Ooh. let's try and get some, uh, let's try and get the hospitals, you know, uh, um, more prepared for, you know, in case this kind of thing happens again. But of course you can't have, you know, just playing devil's advocate, you, you can't have, um, uh, you can't spend this huge budget just on preparing for a pandemic that might not come again for the next, you know, hundred no, years. Yeah, absolutely, right? like, it's like having you know a big snowplow division uh, in a Mediterranean, southern Mediterranean country. Right, right. At a certain point, the cost yeah. doesn't really uh, justify. Um, but I think I think the problem is a little little more, um, a little more uh, heady, a little more philosophical, a little more ideological, because these are sort of the practical impl- imp- implementations of what we need to do to stop this from happening. But if I may, I just want to read a quote by a very good independent journalist out of Quebec. And um, Julius, Is it in French? Uh, if it would, we wouldn't be <laughs> quoting it. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's fantastic. And he has a great website. His name is Julius Rochelle. And um, just give me a second to read through this because I think it's going to highlight 
the underlying root problems of um, what we've been struggling with on a society level. So the quote goes, as always, big ideas that depend on a collective buy-in from the community are, by definition, threatened by anyone whose opinion, ideas, objective evidence, personal needs, or individual choices break the cohesiveness of the group. And so, inconvenient facts that must be suppressed, inconvenient opinions that must be silenced, inconvenient individuals must be canceled, and individual choices must be ruthlessly replaced with loyalty to the group in order to achieve the utopia waiting on the horizon. Truth is the first casualty of central planning. Intolerance isn't a bug in central planned societies. It's a feature. And so this is where I come back now to central planning in the hospitals. Maybe it is a time for privatization to a degree. Maybe that would have laid off some of the, uh, created more efficiencies and competition within the market. Mm -hmm. If during this pandemic, all the private hospitals were able to hire the people you're requesting and increase the size of the ICUs, we have now a very good, you know, almost like a randomized control trial of sense, like which of the two operating systems are actually going to perform better under pressure. Right. And um, there was a moment in time, and they've taken it off the Ontario's website, where if you scroll down on the uh, part where they had ICU capacity um, early on, and you clicked and said, instead of 30 days, 90 days, all time, for the first six months, the capacity of Ontario's ICUs was 3,500 beds. Oh, wow. Then six months in, starting in about the fall of 2020, it drops down to 2,500, 1,000 less, and stays there oscillating up and down a bit uh, to where we are now in you know, um, early 2022. Mm-hmm. So we actually have 1,000 less ICU beds now than from the very start of the pandemic. Now, you could argue, I don't know what the nature of these ICU beds are. Were they more field hospitals? Were they going to be poorly manned? Perhaps these are specialties I don't know much about the inner workings, but we had more. Mm-hmm. And so that means more is possible if we're under enough pressure. Right. So now that we're back down to 2,500, we are sort of admitting overall there is less pressure. So to go through more shutdowns and threats of shutdowns and mandates when we actually have more capacity than we are exhibiting at the moment doesn't seem to um, jive with me. Yeah. Well, you know, and again, it might just be that there's less frontline workers to to you know because i i heard something the other day where it's not really a problem with beds anymore it's it's the lack of people to you know tend to them could very well be but at this and i certainly an icu bed require more you know more educated people around that kind of person to to Mm -hmm. help them um i just can't help but think that in times of you know in times of duress you can't hire and have apprentices and just scaffold you know, so you get those who have the most experience on the most uh, most uh, critical situations. And then maybe you could have young uh, nurses on the uh, lower end of the uh, difficulty level. Yeah. And just find your way through this. We're, we're two years into it and we defeated the Germans in four years. Right. We turned Ford motor plants into tank producing uh, you know, assembly lines and got the tanks made and sent over. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. we have to be able to do better than this. Right. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good point. There's a lot of unemployment. There's a lot, um, you know, pay the people properly, get them educated, get them into the right positions. 
and start saving people. Yeah. Because instead of shutting down a small business like mine, where my wife and I then had to collect a CERB each, mm-hmm. right? That's 2000 and 2000-ish dollars, 4000 Then our business, thankfully, got rent relief. That's a several more thousand. We could have stayed open, and you could have given that bundle of money to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Right? That, yeah. And that's just one small business. There's another six, $7,000. You can simply go month after month. We were closed for 10 months in total. Voila, put all that money towards the hospital and hire the people you need to hire. Mm-hmm. And small business being the driver of the economy, I can only imagine that five to $10,000 per every small business being directed to the actual place where you need it, the hospital care, rather than forcing us to be closed. That equation only works if forcing us to be closed resulted in that much less people going to the hospitals. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that, while I would commend the government on getting that money out quickly, because I did think that was the one thing where I thought, wonderful. yeah, they, they really did kind of orchestrate yeah. that well. But um, but yeah, like you said, like that that's I, I feel like the whole thing was almost politically motivated rather than it being um, uh, sort of uh, a measurement and a, a weighing of, you know, what is the better solution here? Is it better to, you know, pay people and like, is it better to shut things down and have people, you know, staying at home? And a lot, by that, a lot of people are going to be and out of which, work. And which is the permanent solution? Because right. shutting me down, let my business survive, thankfully, during this time. Mm-hmm. But if we had taken that money instead and given it to the hospitals, the hospitals would still be running on the benefits of that investment of cash. Right. So whatever variant is coming in the future, we've now theoretically gone from two and a half thousand ICU beds to maybe five thousand capacity. Right. And we are more than amply ready for any wave coming, as opposed to putting that money into purchasing vaccines for those who don't need them and spending the billions on right. that. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, and y- y- you also like to, like, I always try to give the benefit of the doubt because when I look at the way the Canadian government in particular, um, and, you know, several governments, not to, you know, blame them specifically, but um, the way they handled it, um, I, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt just because it's uh, so often I, I, I'm wringing my hands at like how incompetent they seem and how motivated by something other than the public good um, or maybe maybe motivated by that but but sort of having a skewed idea of what that is uh, or at least from my opinion um, but I think that uh, they you know I want to I want to give them the benefit benefit of the doubt and say okay well maybe there was a short amount of time they had to make a quick decision and it was like look we have to shut things down. We have to have people staying at home. We don't want this to spread. If that was the advice they were getting from Canada Health, maybe that's the... True, but I've, I've heard before that in order to do a lockdown, uh, every country has their own pandemic planning already in place prior. And uh, even the WHO has guidelines. Mm-hmm. And the uh, parameters, the criteria in which is necessary to lock down a city or a province, a country, um, COVID never qualified for the previous... Uh, criteria and parameters we had in order to say this is worth locking down for. What what are some of the parameters? Uh, Transmissibility, the amount of death that is happening, that Hmm. sort of thing. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. so it never qualified. For the who who one or the Canadian? Both. Oh, okay. And um, somehow we saw what was happening in China and they were doing the extreme lockdowns and we had first snickered, well, that will never happen here. And uh, we just followed what China was doing and we threw out our pandemic planning that had been established through our own medical associations and went with the Chinese model. Yeah. I wonder if this kind of thing would have played out the same way 50 years ago, because I, when I, you think about it, it's like, 
it doesn't really make sense. Uh, there wasn't that many people proportionately dying. Obviously, there was a lot of people dying from it. And, you know, we're not trying to belittle that, but it's like, you know, is it just that the people who are dying are dying on viral videos that are being, you know, mm. maybe, maybe it's too politically damaging to say, um, maybe maybe it's just, you know, we don't want anybody dying. Or at, le- at the very least, we want to show that we're doing everything possible to prevent dying, as opposed to taking, you know, is what a government should do, is take in all the sort of, you know, not just health recommendations, but the financial recommendations, the, you know, uh, soci- you know sociological recommendations or whatever. Like, y- you want to have a solution that works for the most people um, and in the best way long-term. Um, but I wonder if 50 years ago, maybe you don't have that exposure to the media. The government can be like, look, what makes the most sense is, you know, we tell people to wear masks, uh, socially distance, but we can't shut down the economy. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we would plunge ourselves into a debt that we can never get out of. So, um, you know, maybe the idea is, uh, I think, I, I wonder how much of it these days is just politicians wanting to, look the best they can true and uh, we have this sort of um cultural thing that we're you know everybody gets a star so the politician like whether they actually created a system in which shows benefit or not is like well but i did something do right. i get a star <laughs> you know look at me whereas before <laughs> it was like no can we can we i actually need results on this and you know further to that point 50 years ago we wouldn't have had a vaccine out so quickly right so what true. would we have done we yeah. would have wore a mask perhaps because we still don't really have great randomized control trials on whether masking works or not. Certainly in light of Omicron, it seems exceedingly unlikely unless you're doing a one of those N95 masks. You know? why, why does it seem unlikely? Well, there's 150 studies that show that masking, and by masking I mean cloth masking because there's a mm-hmm. lot of nuance on what is a mask and how to wear the mask. There, there, is a one, there is 150 studies that show that in light of Omicron and perhaps even Delta, masking does not do more benefit than harm. This um, is medical. These are in papers. This is yeah. research. And we're in, you know, you, you're talking about consensus and expert opinion before. If you actually get into scientists debating this stuff, you, you will not find a lot of consensus on whether the masking is actually doing anything right now. Well, my understanding is, yeah, the N95 masks are effective. Other ones are not. Sure. But the WHO also recommends you cannot wear one of those for eight hours a day. The N95 Yes. Huh. So now we have something that works in short bursts, but you're not going to have society wearing one of those masks for 9, 10 hours a day. What are, why aren't they recommending that? Uh, I haven't looked at it recently. Fit, comfort, um, st- stuff of that nature. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's it's definitely not recommended to wear 8, 9, 10 hours a day. Hmm. So then you go back to the cloth, but then the cloth in light of Omicron is not particularly effective, you know, so... Well, if it's not particularly effective, then maybe it's effective enough to be something, you know, like... Uh, Perhaps. I don't know the numbers on Perhaps it. Perhaps enough can... to mandate, though? Y- yeah. No, I... I, I yeah. Um, There's a, there, I can't really, you know, and, and this is the nature of the podcast, but there are a lot of studies that basically show they are ineffective. Right. Maybe we'll, we can link and some. By, by ineffective, yeah, definitely. And yeah. by ineffective, what I mean is that uh, the, the costs... It's not that they don't have a certain amount of efficacy, but the costs do not outweigh the, the benefits. Do not outweigh the costs. I see. Well, what are the costs in that kind of a? Um, what it does to society, children, um, sociological learning. Oh, I see. Yeah, all, yeah. All, there's yeah. all sort of parameters that, that go into this. Not just simply, you know, do you catch the virus or not? There's, right. there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, yeah, there's 150 studies. Uh, Brownstone Institute is a great website for anyone listening who um, has 
very qualified experts in their fields write detailed articles with all the studies linked to them. And it's one of the single best resources anybody can just tap into, mm. you know. So, yeah, definitely uh, I would recommend that. And back to your point, 50 years ago, I think we might have just done a little bit of redu reduced capacity, perhaps masking, and uh, again, not being so sensationalized on television, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and hopefully people just hunker down for a year or two and not get too sick. The vast, vast, vast majority of people who caught even COVID, the alpha variant and Delta would have been like, it was a really bad flu for a week. Right. You know, I think 50% of people are asymptomatic. Light symptoms are for 85% of the population. So you're only really dealing with 15% that are even going to have heavy duty symptoms. So again, 50 years ago, I don't know if we would have shut down all of society for just 15% of people dealing with heavy symptoms. Right. Of which about of that 15% of the, of the total 100%, 1% may end up in hospital. Okay. So we want to get back to um, talking about why we the reasons we had for not getting the vaccine in the first place. Well, a point of uh, um, um, full disclosure here, the I, I ended up getting the vaccine. <laughs> like, um, it was late on in it, but it was uh, I had a wedding coming up and I had um, work, you know, the um, the temperature of the climate at work was such that I knew that I would have to get one soon. And um, and uh, there are there are a few things. Well, just in society, wanting to participate in society, wanting to be there for Christmas again, wanting to do all the things that one would expect one to be able to do. Um, most of my family, well, I think everyone in my family had gotten it, and they, and um, it was just to a point where it was like, look, I if I'm not getting it, I just don't get to kind of participate uh, in family get-togethers anymore. And, and to be fair, nobody had dropped dead in your family yet, so you're like, it's all yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I well, there had been good evidence to yeah. be very afraid of this. And while I was very skeptical of getting it, and I did, I, I'm and still, I've uh, through the whole thing, I've always thought I would rather not get it. Um, there was nothing, you know. Part of me was like, maybe I'm being a little bit ridiculous about this. Like, I, you know, and and really, I say that, but knowing in my heart. That that I wasn't knowing, you know what I mean? And this actually still grinds my gears. If that's even a phrase that people <laughs> use anymore about this is that I, I, I knew in my heart, I feel like I went against my, my conscience by getting it. I really do. And, and it's unfortunate now, like whatever it's, it was done is done. Um, I hope to never make that mistake again, just in general in life. But I, I do, I felt strongly enough about it that, um, and like, you know, people who sort of held out and got past the storm, uh, you know, I think like, ah, uh, you know, Although most of you people have gotten COVID, you know, now that the, the friends of mine that have, that didn't get the vaccine, hmm. um, a lot of you ended up getting We were COVID. talking about this and, and just um, to, to that last point there, um, us too, between my wife and myself, our families, uh, we are by far the most restrictive with our movements um, to like an A plus degree. Like I just hmm. hugged my mother for the first time in over two years a week ago. And haven't had a coffee or cake or anything inside either house until Christmas uh, this year. We had our in-laws over, which would have been just shy of two years. Anybody stepping foot in our house. Yet we caught it as well. In our case, I would say it's the nature of a job. I, I'm beside people for an hour at a time. You know, mm -hmm. So I think any mask, if you're beside somebody for over an hour, is going to have a very challenging time. Yeah, you know? just yeah. probability. Is probability in that particular nature. But yeah, I think there might be something to your stats. However... Um, it's now no longer available. Maybe it will come back on. But if you go to the Ontario database on their official website, they had this um, one section where they had, um, let's see if I can get the title right, 
like uh, rates of cases per 100,000 based on vaccination status. And they had three different components of the status, vaccinated, partially vaccinated, or not vaccinated at all. And the vaccinated people in Ontario during the Omicron wave were catching it at higher rates per 100,000 than non-vaccinated people. Mm. Now, is that because of some sort of immune system fatigue? Is this some sort of, you just got your booster and your body's actually lower before it peaks at the high point and mm-hmm. it happened to be at the wrong time during the actual Omicron uh, when it was ripping through society? Is it because vaccinated versus unvaccinated people behave differently? Like, we don't, I don't want to just attribute it just to vaccines or doing something bad to those who got vaccinated at well, all. But those were the numbers. And now if you go back to the website, that chart is no longer available. It has one of those little eye for information. And says this information is no longer available due to technical difficulties. <laughs> really, Honest invoking technical God. difficulties. Yes, um, but well, so but isn't that is the difference in the? Um, can you say this? Can you say that again? The statistics. Uh, one. The people who were vaccinated mm-hmm. versus non-vaccinated in Ontario during the Omicron wave were catching it, I believe, at two point seven times greater frequency per one hundred thousand. The non-vaccinated people. So out of 100,000 people, and I'm explaining this both for our listeners, but also because I always have a tough time wrapping my head around numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, per, so it's one. they take 100,000 people who are vaccinated, 100,000 people who are non-vaccinated, mm-hmm. and the rate at which people were catching the virus was 2.7 times higher in the, in the vaccinated people. Yes. Huh. So if you wanted to do a lowest common denominator and call it one person per 100,000, and it wasn't one, it was higher than one, for every one, it'd be 2.7 of the other group. Right. And so if it was four, it'd be times 2.7 for the other group and onwards. Right. Yeah, and now as the thing has uh, receded, the, as the numbers come closer again, but that's what they would refer to. And there's other studies out of Denmark that show the exact same thing as well. Mm. Um, so it isn't just something we saw in Ontario. And... Um, even in the New York Times had an article just a little while ago about this saying this is what they call immune system fatigue. And mm-hmm. you can't just keep hitting yourself. You will get higher antibodies if you check the day after getting a, a vaccine. But what happens over the course of those 90 days uh, while being freshly vaccinated um, is uncertain at the best. So the first, after the second dose, we had, uh, we had efficacy for 20 weeks. After the booster, 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. So now, as you go into the fourth... If we follow the same trend, will it be less than 10 weeks? It looks like it's skewing in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so if we keep hitting ourselves, one theory that many experts around the world now are talking about to the point that it's even in the New York Times is that if we keep hitting our bodies with these vaccines, are we creating an uh, immunity fatigue, which left unchecked might mean you need a shot every single month. Right. Right. With the vaccines we currently have. If there's new ones in the pipeline, c'est la vie. We'll see if they're in the fall, if there's a variant-proof, Omicron-specific, once every 12 months uh, uh, needing dosage. But I'll wait until I see the stats that they actually prove it, because that's what they promised us with the initial one. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it didn't pan out. It was always just another variant away and more research away from that not playing out either. either. Yeah. So, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Yeah. Um, the, shame on you. <laughs> the right shame. Yeah. You know, I think it was on the um, same Dark Horse um, show where Brett Weinstein makes this um, 
sort of makes the case that there is a, a bit of a false equivalency going on with this um, when the vaccines were rolled out. Um, because, you know, people people see the syringe and associate in their minds, you know, just the word vaccine with, you know, these things are all safe. We've been doing this for decades. Uh, everything is, um, you know, there's nothing there's nothing unusual about this. We'll just get the vaccine for COVID like we've gotten the vaccine for, you know, uh, chicken pox and any any other number of things. Um, but, um, but it, I, I think people who actually knew what he, what he was saying is like the, you know, biologists and people who actually knew what was going into these vaccines knew the, knew, knew the, um, um, how original these were and how novel they were. And, um, and it's, it's sort of like comparing apples and oranges to say that, um, you know, this is the same, you know, this is your grandmother's vaccine or whatever. Um, he, he sort of dramatically used the, uh, example of, you know, if you go into, if you go into a room and you see a gun on the table and you put the gun to your temple and you shoot it and it just goes click, does that mean, uh, that the gun is safe? It's like, probably not. It means that, you know, you, you sort of got by that time. Um, you really, it sort of illustrates the difference between what, these MR, mRNA vaccines as opposed to traditional vaccines, like, in high, because it's a really a new, it's a new not. thing that came along that, you know, and within, you know, months they had uh, started pushing out the vaccines. Well, and to that effect, the goalpost kept changing because at first the, the rhetoric around it was, it's a novel technology. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. mRNA vaccines. We never were able to produce vaccines in such a short period of time. This is an exciting new field that's emerging to well as more data was coming through and we needed perhaps a third shot we saw in israel and adverse reactions were going up well they've been studied for over 10 years now perhaps right. 20. well that's not quite so novel anymore is it you kind of switch the story around yeah. it now and so there was a lot of like a um, you know story weaving that was going on as well yeah 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 i think um and that's really okay so let's get to this because it's it's a lot of the heart of this like i know we both listen to the same podcast read a lot of the same stuff and i think that it you know our impressions on what to do with this issue as to whether we would get the vaccine or not were probably formed by uh a lot of the stuff that we you know read and sure. and uh and watched or listened to and um so Let's get into some of the big characters in this, like Dr. Robert Malone, for example. Mm. So uh, we've never really talked about him, I don't think. No. So it's, I'm, yeah. I'm curious your opinion on him because he's sort of held out. Like on the one side, it's like, look at this guy, one of the creators of the MR, yeah. mRNA vaccine. Like he obviously knows what he's talking about. Like if you say yeah. that you invented the, you know, the, the vaccine that people are putting in their bodies and you're against that. I mean, that's a pretty damaging yeah. uh, thing. And for, the, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Dr., Dr. Malone is somebody who has been very outspoken against the COVID vaccinations but is also, um, you know, I, I don't want to say self-styled. Like, I think that he, he did, he was sort of fundamental, to my understanding, in uh, inventing these, the mRNA technology. I, I might have heard even like as much as, to, as many as 20 patents in his name regarding the uh, original mRNA technology. Right. Yep. But he's described similar, like, you know, I, I was listening to something the other day, and they were describing uh, a Joe Rogan podcast that had Dr. Malone on it, he was described as the discredited uh, Robert Malone. It's like, well, they, and, and it was said so casually, it was like, well, everybody knows he's discredited. It's like, why is he discredited? Like, what are the reasons? Do you, do you, can Not you speak to this? It was a three, I listened to it. I was, I thought it was a really good conversation as one on Rogan. I've heard him uh, probably listen to 
uh, 50 hours worth of Dr. Malone in the last year alone. Uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's human. And the, the problem, if I can just be counterpoint to this, is that when you start to, and he can, get into very technical nuances about how this goes, a very small fraction of society understands what he's talking about. Right. So you can be overwhelmed by the technical side. And then the narrative that he's sort of saying that, you know, it's not for, he, I don't think he says it's, he's against vaccination. He's just against mass vaccinations and mandates around vaccinations. I think I've heard him enough times say over 60, 65, immunocompromised, by all means, go get it. It's your best chance at the moment. But in conjunction with any other therapy that may be available mm -hmm. for this as well. He's, I don't find him to be an absolutist on this, which is something you don't really hear about in the mainstream media for the most part, I think. Well, so you're yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, well, because I remember hearing him talking specifically about the um, the COVID vaccinations, saying, you know, how he was very concerned about the spike protein mm -hmm. coming loose, and uh, this is probably, um, you know, early 2021. I want to say, mm. uh, and uh, I, you know, and I don't know, like, like, like most people, like I don't know. You know, I'm listening to this guy talk and it's like, well, he sounds like he's, you know, sounds very credentialed in yeah. terms of this. And he's saying it's bad. Like that's the extent I, I believe of my... he said, I've heard before, I'm um, just working off memory, but that it's okay. F two doses for some people, mm -hmm. three doses and beyond, probably not. And in terms of vaccinating anybody under the age of 30 and is healthy, definitely not. Um, it's all about also like, you know, how much how many years do you expect left to live in, you know, cost benefit analysis? And that's all right. in light of alpha and perhaps delta with Omicron. It completely changes. So I'm sure if we listen to his point of view of vaccination in regards to Omicron, that would definitely change right. the whole um, skewing of it as well. But no, I, um, I think he's I think he means well. I think he's sincere. Um, he's in, he's not infallible. You know, you're all of a sudden now on the news and feeling like a, a, a rock star and being asked to do two or three different shows per day. Mm -hmm. And you definitely have to be careful. Um, all I suggest is when somebody listens to, and I do recommend listening to a little bit of Dr. Malone, counterbalance that with critique on the other side and just yeah. find out what's going on. I, I think he adds a very important component to understanding our way out of this predicament. And you can't simply understand the full breadth of what we're supposed to do without putting some time into Dr. Malone. Right. You know, I wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, but he certainly deserves to be at the table. Yeah. I think there's a really, um, a fact that the, then the media is masterful at this in, um, casting things in a very binary way. Like, you know, I, you know, and the thing is, you're, like you said, like everybody's human. So, uh, you know, you're always going to be, some people are going to make mistakes. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll have some good moments. Some things might be a little disingenuous. Like there's always something to balance, but like what the media is able to do is, uh, pluck one of the sort of disingenuous things. And I'm not even speaking with, about Dr. Malone. Like I, the, just in any situation, like you were talking earlier about Russell Brand, it's like, you can take, you can take the worst parts of anybody's, um, uh, characteristics and cast them as a villain, right? Like, you know, we've all done something. So it's like, you find that just keep blasting that through the media over and over. And it's like, yeah, this, this person's horrible or this person's like a charlatan. And, uh, I think that the, you know, it, it goes the other way too. So it's like, you know, Dr. Fauci is like, look at this guy who was like head of, um, uh, you know, like AIDS research back but when, and just like, to your point, you know, I'm not saying Dr. Malone, knows anything about what he's saying and whether we should listen to him. But those who are qualified, like a Dr. Fauci, 
Would it not be a ratings extravaganza to have both of them on a podcast together or CBC or the CNN or Fox or what mm-hmm. Al Jazeera's BBC and say, we're going to have a one hour special of these two doctors debating one another. Yeah, It would literally be as popular as a UFC fight. They would have a ratings bonanza and then the public can decide for themselves which doctor they prefer. But yeah. I'll let him at least be questioned by his peers in a way that we can actually listen. Instead of being relegated to the uh, having to do the podcast trail and going around and just talking to you and I. Yeah. You know, the fact that people don't engage him en masse is, puts a red flag to me. And I don't think it's because he's completely off his rocker. Yeah. I just don't want to engage him because he probably knows much, much more in them and they're going to expose their own weaknesses. So therefore, you know, and regarding to how you started this this segment now about whether you wanted to get vaccinated or not, that would put up a red flag. Why are not all voices being invited to the table so I can make an informed decision? Yeah, and I, I would say that that's the biggest reason for me too is the censor- censorship surrounding certain individuals and certain topics like the ivermectin topic. Like yeah. why, you know, it is being presented by sort of alter- alternative media or whatever you want to, whatever the term is that is mm. describing like, you know, um, show alternative here, but in many countries around the world, it's part of their protocols. Right, right. You know, so it's quite interesting because we are in our own little bubbles here thinking, mm. well, the way we're doing it is the right way and the way the whole world should be doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, why, why are, why is something like ivermectin? It's like, you know, I, I just remember the whole horse tranquilizer thing and, and it's like, this is here is a drug that is safe. It's proven that it's safe. Mm-hmm. That it is, um, you know, whether like there have there were studies, and I don't know where we are. I haven't been following this stuff for like a year now. But there were studies that that were showing ivermectin was effective. I remember uh, Pierre Corey was, you know, a big ivermectin, mm-hmm. um, and he, you know, and, and he also worked, you know, on the on the front line of this stuff. So really had a I think fairly um, hands on idea of what therapies would work and what wouldn't work, and um, you know, and again, like I, you know, I'm no, certainly, well, obviously no, obviously no expert in this, but all I can do is, you know, hear from people who sound like they should be experts, like mm-hmm. people who have, you know, the credentials to match. Mm-hmm. And when you hear people like that saying like, look, ivermectin, uh, like the, uh, the, you know, seems like it's something that uh, a drug that can, can work. And why aren't we talking about this? And you, and then, you know, of course you have the narrative, well, the drug companies it wouldn't make any money off of ivermectin because it's, there's no patent for it or whatever. Well, the traumatizing, terrorizing thing for me is every person I engage with, uh, who, when I, ha- it happens to come up in conversation, because most people have heard of the drug now, ivermectin, you, within a heartbeat, you hear the word horse dewormer from their mouths. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. And it is unbelievable because those are intelligent people and they just simply can only know what they know. Yeah. So they turn on the TV and they're told ivermectin, horse dewormer. So that would that make sense that every time you heard the word penicillin, horse dewormer, eh? Yeah. Ah, that's what you're taking now. And it makes, and th- people don't seem to connect the dots yeah. on these two different. Uh, so wh- when I tell them this is on the ivermectin's on the who's list of top 25 most essential drugs, it's been administered. They won a Nobel prize for administering it to humans, mm-hmm. not for COVID, but for parasites, yellow fever, dengue, things we don't have in North America for the most part. And that, you know, if prescribed by a doctor, for a human, it is very safe mm-hmm. in the realms of somewhere like a Tylenol or something like that. Um, I'm not saying it works. I'm not saying it doesn't work. All I'm saying is if a qualified doctor wishes to be able to um, prescribe that to their patient, um, how can you justify that same doctor can prescribe opioids but can't prescribe ivermectin? Yeah, very politicized. 
it's unbelievable. And I'm not saying it works. I'm saying let a professional decide. Yeah. Let yeah, them exactly. look at the studies. And then if I see on mass that it's just not working and there's a couple of crazy doctors that are doing it, but you know what? I'm going to turn my head back towards the vaccine solution. Go, I'm going to give that a second look. Mm -hmm. I think this is my path. Right. But immediately there was, uh, you know, censorship around it. Everybody who talked about ivermectin as a potential solution was, you know, labeled, a, um, uh, you know, crazy or whatever. Uh, and then you get, yeah, situations like Joe Rogan where it's, um, you know, he's castigated for, for using it by, you know, CNN using the horse, uh, dewormer mm -hmm. label. And it's like, um, it really is. And it's kind of like what I was saying in the, the earlier monologue where it's just this, like, you can start a conversation with somebody and the minute you say a certain trigger word, like mm -hmm. an ivermectin or like, mm -hmm. yeah, I, uh, I haven't been vaccinated. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, immediately the, all these assumptions just like, like crowd the person's mind. They're not even interested in anything else that you're saying. And that's what I find. I, I made the error early on saying, well, there's these studies just being naive and, you know, trying to be altruistic and find like, and the studies show, and I know there's not a lot, but, you know, we only base mixing and matching of, uh, you know, different mRNA vaccines on one or two small studies. And we're like, that's good to go. We, we can right. do this. And you can say yes to that. So mm. you, the, the, the mechanism, the, the mechanisms in place were able to lower the standards when it suited their narrative. Let's say mixing and matching two studies. Let's rock. Mm -hmm. It's good to go. But now we have something like 50 to 100 studies showing ivermectin looks like it may actually work. No, well, we just don't have like, you know, a 10,000 yeah. person yeah. gold standard randomized control trial. So we're just not going to start that. <laughs> you know, I think I think the booster studies were based on like a. Uh, a total number of like 380 participants. The, yeah. the, whether to vaccinate under like 12 or 18 was, was somewhere around 1,500 to 3,000. Right. So they were able to lower the standards for to get the green light for that. But then they take and increase the standards in order to have ivermectin to this, you know, sort of stratospheric level that unless you are a Pfizer with a billion dollars in the bank, you're not going to be able to fund such a thing. Yeah. Well, what's funny about that is like when you think of the COVID vaccines and and the those studies, you know, like now they're like, well, you know, we have the the vaccine uh, sample size now, like, because it's happening in the general population. And it's like, really, this is now the study that, you know what I mean? Like, so you've already deployed it. And now in sort of um, retroactively, you're claiming that this is the study. That, like, there was actually a quote on that during one of the very boring uh, where people would teleconference in different doctors uh, about the FDA approval regarding mm, I believe it was vaccinating kids under a certain age. And one of the regulatory uh, advisors there were like, well, we'll just never know unless we try. <laughs> That's what you want to hear when you're rolling wow. over. Wow. Yeah. You really just said that. Mm -hmm. These are people's children, right? And they're actually, what are you trying to solve? Like the, the rate of death and severe illness is so minute. Yeah. You're going to actually, if just one more child dies than you save, you've murdered that child. Right. You know, will, willingly. Yeah. Well, and this is, I mean, I'm sure you've, uh, that Norman Doidge, uh, um, essay, right? Like where, I've um, heard of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and he was on the Jordan Peterson podcast mm -hmm. and, uh, needle they, points, needle points. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I actually did listen to the entirety of it. Uh, it's, three hours. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, and very, um, you know, talking about the history of, you know, um, vaccine history and, uh, the history of like the CDC and like the healthcare, like military experiments like the Tuskegee yeah, stuff like it's absolutely. like you know there has been a long history of 
government um and again you know i say the word government and I, 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 all of, all of a sudden i feel like you know people are going to be listening to this thinking oh here goes here comes the conspiracies but it's like no it's not a conspiracy these kinds of things happen you know these were like you know they they did experiments knowing that um when they um you know, you know, with with under the under the under the um, the moniker of this is for the greater good, which maybe very well could have been, but you're still taking individuals and giving them something, for example, uh, that that you know is going to harm them, but it's just you know they're just doing that just so they can see. And in the case of Tuskegee, they were giving them um, you know a placebo uh, instead of treating their actual disease because they wanted to watch how they died and study how they died. And, um, you know, it's like, uh, y y there's this history and it's not like it's, this is like, you know, hundreds of years ago. Like this is all like a lot of this stuff happened, well, you know, and when you look at, and I believe it's in the same essay, but you can find it anywhere. The, uh, the largest fines in, in a conjunction or largest single fines for criminal activities in American history, mm -hmm. it falls on the shoulders of the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. You know, would you trust me if I had the largest criminal fine of all time? Right. You probably shouldn't. Right, you know, right. your odds are in favor. Yeah. You shouldn't trust me. Yeah, and yeah. I, it's unfortunately, and we do need the pharmaceuticals, but I view them as a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. You just, you're going to, you have to play ball with them a little bit. Yeah. And well, and, but, but so, and even that is kind of like, okay, yeah, like you said, like a necessary evil. But what kills me is the, this whole attitude of, well, you must be crazy if you don't want to take the vaccine. And it's like, like, don't you follow the science? And like, like, yeah, like, I mean, just like logic dictates, I would want to be a little bit skeptical about this. Like, look at history. Well, critical thinking requires you to be critical, you know? And I think we've eliminated the critical and the thinking out of our, our, of our just a yeah. approach to this. Science has become this sort of shiny tower of inf infallibility, yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, you just simply cannot, I, I sometimes feel like I'm Galileo, you know, trying to tell the church. But in this case, the church is the industry of science. And I have a dissenting opinion, mm -hmm. and you're just castrate, castrated out of society. Um, the, uh, so, I, you know, we talked about her earlier, the, you know, not on the show, but uh, it, the, um, was it, I want to say Western? Was it University of Western? Ah, uh, yes, Julie Panessi? Yeah, 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 that's her. Uh, Dr. Panessi, and she was a doctor of philosophy and ethics. I believe I so, yeah. From Western University, and she was fired for um, uh, not getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was a professor of ethics um, at Western, and she made this heartfelt plea um, or on, on um, as sort of her last communique, I guess, uh, on YouTube or wherever she posted it. Mm -hmm. But it was this five-minute great, like, um, really a summation of like what, why, you know, she's just talking about as an ethicist, as an ethicist, mm -hmm. uh, um, where she stands on forcing somebody to put something into your body. And like, um, you know, it's really powerful. Like uh, you can see that it, it really did remind me that you said Galileo. It reminds me of like that kind of a situation where it's like, you know, you're, like uh, when it when it comes to a point where you're standing, you you're like, wow, this is really happening. I have to stand up on my principles um, against something that's very real. You, you almost take these ideas you hear about them in movies and you know in books where it's like, you know, uh, you're so abstracted from that whole um, 
hero dilemma kind of thing but it's like there are people who actually have to make those decisions and and more so in the covid years where it's like you know you have to decide do i want to stand on my principle on this or do i want to lose my job because that's a very real thing it's you know? a moral dilemma on the scale of david and goliath yeah and it, yeah. The, the table is tilted and um at that point with that amount of you know conviction these people and i would include myself in them are simply just there's something in the moral fiber that says i will not capitulate to this even if it means my demise right economically my life whatever not your loved ones you know you, you'll always do something for your loved ones but this gets to the very fiber of their essence and it's actually you know, when you're tested is when you, you get to really see what you're all about. Right. And I did hear like COVID didn't really change us. It just revealed who we really are, mm. you know. And when it's under that pressure and when you strip everything away and go, what am I all about? I only have a small 100 year window of consciousness to be part of this um, beautiful thing of the universe. Damn it. Where am I going to make my stand? And when you look at it and pan back over the four billion years of the universe, you know, who cares if you live to 90 or 50? It's what you stood for in those years that mattered. Yeah. And you can tell in her conviction in those four minutes, the clarity of thought, this woman has made up her mind mm -hmm. and she's taking what she believes is the right moral stand. Yeah. And then we have to weigh moral stands and what it means to society versus simply the, in the versus the efficiency of numbers and virology. Because what's the point of society surviving if the society that survives is not something we're proud of. Right. You know, and I yeah. think that's something when you get technocratic and I believe we're falling into a trap of numbers and algorithms and a sort of technocratic way of running the planet that we're losing that moral uh, waypoints, those moral goalposts, that sense of history and how fragile the freedoms that we have now are and how we have to be so, yes, we have a fantastic system that is full of inefficiencies, but it would be a massive mistake to say, let's tear it all down and start over again. The mm -hmm. new system will be better. Because yeah. the problem isn't perhaps the system, it's us within the system. Right. And at that moment, she was showing you that it's the morality that matters more than the actual technocratic side. Yeah, yeah. And I think that just speaks to the truth of it. Yeah, in, in society these days, it's like we're getting better at the how, but uh, less um, aware of the why. Very and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I really found her, um, uh, I really found her, what she sort of stood for moving in the same way, you know, Jordan Peterson did the same thing yeah. over, you know, free speech. Um, it's... Uh, you know, you never know when that moment's going to come. Like, mm -hmm. and you always want, I mean, I'm sure you, I mean, I know I have this idea of how my life's going to like pan out. And of course, you know, um, God and making plans and all that, uh, laughing at us. Um, so it's, I don't, um, I, I, you know, when those kinds of like, you know, I guess, I guess one of the reasons I'm kicking myself for getting the vaccine eventually is I know that I went against what I, you know, should I have done. You know, it's not like I, I murdered somebody or something or, I, you know, like, I, you know, I'm plagued with regret. But I do think like, you know, I should have stood on principle with that. Uh, it would have been tough, but I could have done it because you never. But in my mind, I was like, well, I want to keep my job. I want to go to the Christmas this year. I want to go to my brother's wedding. So it's like, um, but there's always like. I think that kind of like your principles will almost always demand a sacrifice and those and you never know when it's going to come when your time is going to come you know you like, do always have the ability to say no but that yeah. no comes at a cost 
Yes. And yeah. you just have to just, you know, am I willing to accept such a cost? I mean, let me ask you, what percentage of Canadians are vaccinated? We're at like 90% or so. What percentage of that 90% got vaccinated through coercion and family pressure and everything else? Yeah, interesting to know. Right? You know. So we're always so proud to tout. I'm so proud of Canadians, 90% vaccinated. Let's back that up a little bit. Probably, I'm guessing, yeah. 40 to 50% would have went and got the vaccine. And as a large proportion of them should, because they're immunocompromised, have health issues of age, all the different risk factors that we know are necessary. But um, to say, you know, coercing the other 40% of your population uh, was a good thing to do, the right thing to do, or something to celebrate when you hit the 90% number, I think it's very disingenuous. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I have a real, you know, along with the censorship uh, as being one of the biggest problems I had with all this, so the, the shaming was another. And like, you know, our Prime Minister Trudeau with his, um, I just remember thing, things he would say and the way he would say them, it really fed into the whole anti-vax, uh, you know, hatred that there seemed to be. You know, it was like, you know, and, and to, to some extent, like, you know, you can take things out of context, like, like, I, I get that you wouldn't necessarily want to sit next to an anti-vaxxer on the bus. I wouldn't mm -hmm. either. Like, mm -hmm. just, you, you know what I mean? Just, it's kind of like, because you, you think to yourself, well, in, in theory, or even even not if, you know, it's almost like intuitively, it's like you would think that they would have a higher mm -hmm. risk of having, they passing done, something on They to haven't you. taken part in the medical intervention that everybody has been told will get you on the path of getting all of society through this. Mm -hmm. Um and so, you know, I don't care if it's 5%, 10%, 40%. It's a percentage, and I don't want to play ball with that. You know, right, I, I right. totally understand. Do you know, though, that the Canadian military admitted during this time that they were using military-grade psychological operations on the population and testing them out? So describe that. I don't know the, 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 the details of the exact nature of what they were doing. Um, well, in what context did they sort of reveal this? Uh, it was a news report. Um, so what, so what, what was the news? So is that just like, they just released a statement yeah. and said they were going to. Yeah. Yeah. It was something like that. I can pull it up at a, a certain point, but that's what they said. Just like the, the Trudeau government admitted they were spying on 33 million cell phones and they just yeah. flat out said it through a news report at a certain point, you know? And of course, privacy advocates were like, what is this all about? How is this mm -hmm. even possible? Um, and you know, it's not part of the uh, regular nightly news anymore, either story. Right, yeah. So again, I'm just nothing but sympathetic for everybody, in particular yourself in this position, because you had to just weigh the odds and, you know, there is a sort of go along to get along vibe. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know. Well, one of the worst things is this whole, like, you know, you, you know, you got to do your part. You know, I, I, putting that burden of, um, you know, Again, give me a give me a polio even. Give me give me something that has a really high or not even really high, marginally high rate of death. You know, maybe at ten percent even. Mm -hmm. Like I would still argue for individual rights at that point. Mm -hmm. But I can understand an argument at that point where it's like, oh, look, you want to yeah. do your part, and it's like, well, I'm doing my part by staying away from people, whatever. But you know, this this idea to force somebody to put something in their body, I I mean, it is incredible that we're even at the point over something so small, like you say, mm -hmm. psychological warfare, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of, um, I mean, when you think of the small probability of death from this virus, you know, relatively speaking, mm -hmm. um, less than 1%. Mm -hmm. So, okay, still high, like, mm -hmm. you know, enough people, like that's still a high number. But 
you know, like you said, that that skews toward a certain demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this the intense shaming, the shutting down of society, the you know, um, those are the psychological operations right there. Yeah, you. I mean, it really becomes, you know, if we're willing to do this for that, I imagine there was um, a real, you know, like a, quite a, scary, an, an even more devastating, quite pandemic. scary how quickly people jumped up. Yeah, I mean, you, I would see it on TV, but you'd see the whole process. People, it's, I come from a very religious background, but you'd see people lining up, kind of like getting communion in a church, right. lining up to get their vaccine, mm-hmm. waiting patiently in line. And they take the magic vaccine. Then they go down the hallway. If all the posters set up on the wall, you know, you stand in front, you take your picture, just kind of like when right. you have your child come out of the church and yeah, here's yeah. your baptismal photos, right? you know, and, yeah. uh, you get to then post that on social media and declare to the world that you are mm. now part of the good tribe. Right. You have been christened into the new scientism. You know, it, it does take on the same beats of a religion. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, it and, does. Um, there is very strong tribal and uh, evolutionary processes. Why religion is still around is because these things work to help keep a society together. Mm-hmm. And those elements are being used through the vaccination as well. It was almost like some sort of elation, some sort of joy, some sort of revelation that they got to participate. I've heard from many friends and clients and whatnot who were like, I felt so privileged to be able to even get the vaccine early because of the nature of my job. You're right. like, wow, really? Okay. Like it's 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 medicine of a sort, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it's a good point. It's um, it's funny how it be, it really became almost a status symbol. It's like, well, like well, how many vaccinations have you got? You know what I mean? Did you get your booster? Like, what's even considered vaccinated anymore? Right? Like, if somebody when you're talking about studies of people being vaccinated, are they talking about, um, you know, somebody who's had the two vaccinations, or was it two vaccinations plus a booster? Because there's some studies coming out of Israel that were like, you know, it was a little questionable how they were um, describing. Um, you know, they were talking about people who are vaccinated, but it was, they were talking about vaccine, like they, they consider, and may, I could be wrong on this. So I don't, um, they consider vaccinated to be whatever the latest booster is. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah. You, you had your vaccines updated. Yeah. But just to go back to the psychological and just how we could draw maybe like a funny little parallel to modern society. Imagine every time somebody bought a green car, a Tesla, let's say. And, um, do they I make s- uh, green Teslas? <laughs> I haven't, I've never seen one, but it actually you said that. Thumps. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, let's say when you bought like a, a battery operated, you know, good for the environment car. And then you, uh, as you purchased your car, you got to go down a hallway. You had to wait a long time, feel lucky you were able to buy one. You took a picture of yourself. You posted it to social media. I am now part of the tribe that's doing better for the world. Right. And after a while, once the adoption of green technology hit the, uh, the, the normal threshold of 30, 40% adoption, you started telling people, well, if you don't get a green car, you won't be able to drive anymore. We won't renew your license sticker. Like the right. coercion part starts to kick in. You can create around almost anything, the exact same psychological mechanisms mm-hmm. in which people feel happy to, to participate or then like they must participate in order to get to that point. Well, you know, so, you know? but this brings up an interesting question and, uh, you know, I, we've talked about it before, like who are the they, right? Like, so you mentioned the Canadian mm. military, which I am want to know more about that story and like, I don't know, maybe do a break and yep. you can, because I'm, I'm curious, that seems an odd thing for them to sort of declare. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they were pressured sure. to do it or why they did it, but um uh, but I would say that it's, uh, you know, when people, people talk about this, like 
you know, you see the co- how COVID happens. You see things like, you know, pharmacy, like pharmaceutical companies, like their profits going up and everything. And you're like, you know, you, it's pretty easy to put together the pieces. But you're like, is it really this simple? Is it really just about money? And like, and who are these people that are always the, you know, um, people are talking about, you know, the Great Reset and this and that. It's like, well, who are who are the who is this cabal of like, like Bond villains that are out there trying to distort the world to their to their whims? Who are they? Who are they? Or is it just a, is that how things coalesce? Multitude of them. Um, There's power, prestige, wanting to leave your legacy. Um, Everybody's trying to do, from their point of view, the right thing for the planet, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, with green technology, you would say, um, you you would say that part of it is people um, who genuinely want to just reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. And that's sort of like, you know, because that's sort of the central core of the idea is like, okay, this is something we have to do. Mm-hmm. People get into it with good, good, with a sort of, um, a benevolent, um, mm-hmm. agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it, but then you by necessity almost corporatize that agenda because you're like, okay, well, you have an idea, you start a company, the company gets bigger. So now you have, you know, people, middle managers, like people whose agenda it is, is not necessarily to, you know, achieve the dream of the company, but is to financially do well with their career. So you have people who are, you know, you get a board of directors, you get it's people. An industry, like, yeah, 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 it's an industry. Share, so yeah. is, is that what happens? And then because, uh, you know, it gets, because in a capitalist society, we're based on that corporation. Uh, then you have these sort of entities onto themselves, which have a self-interest in in profit. So at the at the detriment to maybe even the best intentions of the whole reason the company was formed in the first well, place. I think it's it's so it's different in every single situation. In terms of like um you know battery operated cars, I don't know if they would have ever got off the ground if they didn't have government subsidies. So then you have corporations and government working in tandem. And then you have to ask yourself, well, why are they doing this? Is it is it truly greener for the planet? I've never really seen a great analysis. you got to think about where do you mine the batteries? How do you dispose of them? Yeah. Um, how do you generate the electricity that goes into your cars? It's still from 40% coal plants. Right. So therefore, coal is actually jet powering your electric yeah, car. Yeah. Like I, I would like to see a really detailed um, uh, analysis. Not that I'm... Uh, pro petrol in any way but may perhaps smaller cars more efficient cars mm-hmm. you know that use less gas or more trains or anything else you know um the part that worries me about the uh, electrical i think it does get a little political it's a, it's a lot more control mm-hmm. i think as the world's population expands if we ever have an economic crash or or, or things of that nature the chances of um, protests getting out of hand are far greater just due to um being able to communicate on different messaging apps and coordinating different protests, yeah. uh, things of that, all that nature. I think the governments of the world are looking for a way to be able to control the amount of civil unrest that may unfold if things ever go wrong. Hmm. Yeah. And so part of that could be, like you could argue, not to go too far ahead, but if cars are all run on a grid of sorts and protesters were going to a particular place, you could simply shut off their cars so they can't get to such a place. Right. Particularly if your digital ID on your phone is used to turn on your car as you get near it and all these convenience factors. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of like layers to this story that need to be sussed out. And um, I definitely love technology. I just, I want to see the, um, my fear in this case is that technology is changing at a rate much faster than our understanding of it and how it affects society and then 
from that point, what laws do we need to put in place in order to keep civil rights at yeah. least at least at the level we're experiencing now and no less? During, yeah, mid-2021, um, you know, there was a lot of information that just wasn't being portrayed in the mainstream media. And if it was, it was being, you know, cast as there was, you know, aspersions being cast at it. So like you had, um, you know, Dr. Malone being somebody, a lot of, you know, you would have Brett Weinstein and his Dark Horse podcast being, you know, demonetized, I think. On well, they, they took Ivermectin on, on in one of their podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. was a thing. Yeah. They had the uh, Dr. Malone and Stephen Kirsch on, and that was the one I think mm-hmm. that actually got them demonetized. Which was a fantastic right. three-hour yep, delving into the uh, Freedom of Information Act and uh, the traveling spike protein from yeah. the Japanese, uh, I think, believe uh, database they were pulling those numbers from. And I think one of the one of the biggest reasons, like you said, like that I was so skeptical about getting the vaccine was because there was just so many things that were that, like it was like this veneer of. Um, it, it was really like uh, the invasion of the body snatchers. And you just see this almost blank look come over people's face. It's like, mm. did you get the vaccine? And it's like, well, wait a minute. What about this other stuff? It's like, you're not allowed to talk about that. And it's yeah. like, like, why? You, and it's like, you're, you're not supposed to even you're ask why. missing psychological operations happening in real time. And it bypasses people's intellectual capacities. It, yeah, it does. Because there's a lot of smart people who, you know, did just get the, you know, they got the vaccine. Like, you know, my dad, again, yeah. smart guy. Like, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's just get to some of the other sort of uh, statistics. Um, so there's a lot of stuff coming out. I remember um, hearing, I don't know what the statistics are on this, and maybe you do. Um, were there people, I don't know if this is a rumor or if it's, you know, it's so hard to suss out the truth these days. Um, were there a significant amount of people in the CDC or in other organizations that were not getting the vaccine right away? Like, do you know anything about I that? I did see some congressional testimony at some point they were drilling them and it, mm-hmm. the numbers weren't particularly high but in line with like what america is in general because this was all coming out of states right right some i'm gonna just ballpark it like 30 to 60 percent or somewhere there have been vaccinated and you know they twist and turn and we don't have those numbers but it wasn't like some outstanding like wasn't like yeah percent yeah. of people have gone right whereas julie panessi had did uh, dr panessi had said in a uh, podcast I was listening to that 98% of all university faculty across Canada had been vaccinated. So you didn't right. hear, you didn't hear um, that type of, you know, overwhelming right, uh, right. statistics coming out of the CDC or whatnot, Pfizer employees or Moderna employees or whatnot. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would hear stories um, and I'm speaking anecdotally and I hate this because I, I feel like this is not helping anybody, but uh, I would hear stories about like physicians who were, you know, getting in trouble for, you know, not, not advocating for vaccinations or maybe not even getting vaccinated themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, although I've heard numbers since that suggest that upward of 98% of physicians got vaccinated. I don't know. Well, that is interesting because I did see a study that came out that said, you know, um, Based on educational levels, uh, who are the who are the people that are most unvaccinated? And it was people with PhDs, right? Which I thought, yeah, I heard the same thing. I, I, that is yeah. interesting. Now, to be counterpoint to that point, the problem with perhaps you know being having you know the intellect to be able to be a PhD, they're all PhDs in sociology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can <laughs> see a kidding. lot of you can see a lot of nuance here and there, but it doesn't mean you're an expert in what you're trying to decide on, which is virology and you know right, virology right. and whatnot. So I'm not saying they made a right decision. I'm just that it was interesting that this whole idea that it had to be the uh, sort of backwoods uh, 
burly yeah. truck driver that decided not to get vaccinated actually wasn't statistically at all true. Yeah, no, that is, and that is the impression that they try to create yeah. is like Trump loving, uh, well, you know, the better way. This is the path. Right. These are the experts. Don't yeah. you want to be part of the intellectual and winning team? You right, know, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, follow the science. Follow um, the science. The VARES database was another thing, mm -hmm. and maybe if you can just. You want to describe what that is? Well, you know, again, most people don't know about this, and um, that's fine as we got into this, but we're, we're two years into it, and most people still don't know about it. Mm -hmm. So just backing up a little bit, I, I love a robust conversation. I love a robust conversation, but um, one of my, uh, I've never really, if everybody I've ever talked to, and I talk to a lot of people daily, um, heard very strong arguments for why they got vaccinated or or why that is the right way to go about it, or why an unvaccinated person is the wrong. I just it just comes off as very superficial, like you're reading the features and benefits of a, you know, a hair tonic, and that's it. And there's no deeper delving into um, the mechanisms behind. So that's where I, I feel like it does bypass intellect, and people have just picked an emotional side and decided that's the way we need to go. Um, that's really concerning to me because I love, you know, the last thing I want are my own stale thoughts banging around my head. Please challenge me. Tell me why you believe what you believe. And I've rarely, rarely met anyone that could really articulate why they did in, a, in any form of a scientific, you know, reasoning other than that's what the experts say. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, go ahead. So just, yeah, so just to interject. So the, um, because that's, and that's the argument is like, you know what? I think about a hundred things a day. I don't want to think about this. The experts are saying I should get the vaccine. So I'll get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the, the disparity here is like, yes, that is what the, the ex quote, I'm quoting um, on our audio only podcast. Um, uh, the experts are saying this, but, um, but what, what's not sort of being reported is that other experts are saying other things. Mm -hmm. There are, the, the statistics are overwhelmingly, the statistics are disturbing in the sense that it doesn't seem to reflect this, the, the measures that are being, um, enforced, uh, like in terms mm -hmm. of, um, you know, shutting down businesses and like mm -hmm. closing, uh, you know, like mass mandates and everything like that. Um, it doesn't seem to be enough to take us to that. It never seemed to be enough to me, the risk and the, the, the amount of people dying, uh, or getting sick never seemed to be enough to me to justify the infringement on rights. Like, course, yeah. so, so, um, and you know, you always think like, well, if, if this is going to do that, what would happen if we had a bigger disease? But, um, the asking about, so you get, you get into things like, you know, the VARES database, there was a lot of controversy over the numbers that were being shown there. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that that is, that's one of the things where I thought like, well, that's weird. Why? So like, maybe if you, if you can describe a yep. bit about the VARES database. So the problem with, so it, I believe it stands for a vaccine adverse event reaction site. Yeah. System. Something like, something yep. like that. And, um, I believe, um, the FDA or Pfizer are mandated to have this up. So it isn't like it's some third party. It's the main mechanism for capturing data on uh, adverse reactions due to vaccinations in America. Um, every country or maybe in Europe, they have their own generalized system. Canada, we have our own, uh, they have their own, uh, capturing sites for such information. The criticism of it is that anybody can put in their own information. But so, I've, so somebody, so somebody has, it's a, you know, website you go to, somebody has an adverse reaction to something and they're like, Hey, I felt a headache. Yep. Um, and Turn I just got my Hulk, vaccine. You know, yeah, I'm green. Yeah. yeah. You can right. put, but if you put, I I've heard that if you, once you enter it, the FDA do contact you, you have to put in all your information when you put it there. Okay. Right? And, um, if you lie, it's a criminal offense. Oh, I didn't know that. So those are the criticisms yeah. that anyone can add it, but there are some, 
you know, goalposts there to keep things going. But I've also read that 74% of all entries are by medical professionals. Hmm. So, so it's not perfect. The problem with why would medical professionals be entering? Oh, because they're doing it on behalf of the behalf of the patient that had an adverse reaction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the problem, and I've heard it explained like this, is that if if the information we're getting from VARES is uh, correct, then we have a big problem in our hands. And if because, it's because, sorry, because the numbers were really because the numbers are very high. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's and yeah, there's an absolute versus percentage way of looking at it. But long story short, they're very high. I believe vaccines are taken off the market when there's 150 deaths. And the last time I checked, we were in America alone, over 10,000 deaths had been mm. entered into the system. For the COVID vaccine. Sometimes I even go in layman's terms. I'm like, well, what if 99% of those deaths are just incorrect? You're still at 100, right? right. So we're, we're close to the threshold, if not beyond. Um, so the criticism, um, so if, if this system is correct, we have a big problem in our hands. And if it isn't correct, then we can't say they're safe and effective because we do not have a system to monitor these adverse reactions. Right. So we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. Yeah. Right. So we're going to have to, you know, taking a precautionary principle, assume that they're mostly correct. Right. Right. Right? And based on that, again, I would say your own personal choice. Mm -hmm. There are the CDC, NIH, the FDA who approve things. But uh, the data is um, not overwhelmingly convincing that this is the right solution for everybody. Right. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So, you know, in Canada, it's a little different. It's, I heard it's a lot more bureaucratic. It has to go through a board. They determine this and that. But keep in mind, the day before AstraZeneca got banned in Canada, our adverse reaction site on the Canadian and provincial, federal and provincial uh, websites were saying vaccines are safe and effective. The day before we got rid of AstraZeneca, 14 countries had already stopped AstraZeneca before us. So I would say Canada faults on the other side where they're overly cautious with their data to the point where things can slip through. And then we have, you know, problems that we need to mop up in the future. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine if uh, how a person must feel in Canada if they got AstraZeneca on a Monday and then on Tuesday they were told we're stopping <laughs> right. now. Yeah. There was no, the system is green, but we're now we're hedging into yellow. It might go red. It was green, then red. Right, right. Right? So... That, I don't think that's particularly beneficial to most people in the society. Either. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, the argument would probably be everything is happening so fast, so they have to, you know. True, but we're a G7 country and 14 other countries have banned it already. Right. We yeah. really should right. be in the top five or by definition seven, you know, looking yeah. at this. I mean, not, not to mention that I believe to get the numbers, you know, mostly right. It was the blood clotting was the issue of AstraZeneca and it was something to the effect of one in 55,000. That was enough to say we need to stop this. But myocarditis in uh, certain populations of men between 16 and 24 can come out somewhere between 1 in 1,200 and 1 in 5,000. That's 10 times worse than what the blood clots were overall for AstraZeneca. Right. So, yes, we are switching to Moderna, not Pfizer, uh, looking at it as we should, more nuanced. Again, not an anti-vax statement. It's just like let's take time to look at the data so we can apply the right medication to the right person. It can't simply be a centralized planning, one size fits all. Uh, um, I just believe in science and I'm going to rush off and get it because they said it was okay mentality. Yeah. i tell you one amazing quote, though. Sure. Um, by uh, Trudeau. Mandates are the only way to avoid restrictions. He said that in Parliament. 
That's incredible. I wrote quote of the century. Like yeah. The real, like mandates are the way to avoid restrictions. Right. Yeah. He's Welcome a, he's to your Aurelian nightmare. <laughs> he's a brilliant man. All right. So let's uh, talk a little bit about, um, so, you know, putting this into um, um, some sort of structure, let's, uh, all these reasons and more were why, well, let me ask you. So you, this is, these were things that obviously influenced your, I mean, uh, your decisions not to take, uh, not to get the vaccine. Okay. Um, no, I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking you. Yeah. What are the reasons? Well, no, I'm more, I'm more saying, um, what in like, it was more like a question, but like a state, I, I formed like a statement, but it was actually a question. Like, so these are the things, these, these things that we've talked about are, mm -hmm. are, um, things that influenced you not to get the vaccine. Yes. Like yeah, the, absolutely. Like, is there anything and else? More. Yeah. Is there anything that really comes to mind that is, um, was there any kind of turning point where you were like, oh, like that's a big, um, like, you know, for me, it was a censorship. Like for me, it was like these mm -hmm. people that I, you know, you know, you listen to, uh, a dark horse podcast I brought them up a few times here. Uh, but it's, um, you know, you listen to that and you listen to the way that, um, they're talking about these things and it is in a very reasonable, mm -hmm. a very like, um, you know, they're using logic, they're employing, uh, um, you know, the, the, the language they use, it's not absolute. It's not like there's no, no. certainty there. There's, no. there's a, a kind of hesitant, you know, let's slowly tread through this and find out as you know, together, let's find out what the solution is. Well, that's sort of the nefariousness that we're trying to fight against is that if you just take a knee jerk reaction and do the opposite of what the government says and do the opposite of what big pharma says, you'll find yourself on the other side of a, an equation, a, an argument that you don't have much scientific standing. The mm -hmm. truth is actually in the more dangerous place, which is in the middle. Like right. Pfizer's partly right. The government is partly right. They're not totally wrong in this, right? But what parts are right and what parts are wrong? And that takes a lot of sussing out and a lot of effort, and you gotta get comfortable being like alt center in yeah. a sense. And I think that's really the the place we need to be. And it's gonna be an arduous, time consuming task. But simply knee jerk reactions to these politicians are awful. Throw them all out. Let's start the system over again. Big pharma is only here to kill us. Is not the right way to handle it either. Yeah. So you're right. Those long form conversations have gone a long way, but. Um, going back to what you're saying, for me, it's not just about um, are these things the right way through it? Like, are they the, the correct mechanism? It's are we implementing them in the right way as well? Because that's right. part of the solution of a society. And if I don't like the way they're implementing the solution, then you're actually adding to the problem or creating at least a secondary problem that may take longer to mop up than the initial problem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sort of um, normalizing coercion, normalizing uh, uh, governments uh, calling uh, unacceptable views and freezing your bank accounts. And uh, you may now be fired from your job and ostracized from society and be told by Trudeau on French Canadian television that if you do not get the vaccine, you are by definition a racist and misogynist. Why would I want to participate in that sort of problem? Right. If anything, I would argue I would avoid taking the vaccine on a personal level, and I do not recommend this for anyone else, because it's my political stand. And I'm willing to risk my life, which is not a large amount based on the data, because I'm at 49 years of age and I have mm -hmm. a well over 99% chance of survival. So it isn't like I'm a 
picking a particularly dangerous sword to die on. Right. But um, I would reject the vaccine simply because by participating in this, I'm also participating in creating and legitimizing the system of coercion that's gone on in order to allow this. Mm-hmm. And I need to take an ethical stand that I am not going to participate that, even if it means I'm risking my personal life to a little degree. Yeah, oh, well said. Um, I think we, we have to be aware of compromise to some extent like i think that i think there are people who would say i think a lot of people would say for example like yeah well um you know sure i know i'm sure the pharmaceutical companies do bad things and uh, i'm sure that uh you know the government you can't trust them sort of generalizing of things where it's like yeah there's some good there's some bad you're kind of right like we'll have to agree to disagree this whole sort of equivocation where it's like um like it's almost like a, a cloud around like the truth where it's like, um, you know, you can present some figures or you can present some data and say, okay, let's take this now. Let's see where this is going to go. They just want, they just want to default to something that's safe, uh, oh, something yeah. where it's like, you know, I don't feel, um, you know, I, you know, you might be kind of right. You might be, you know, a little right. And it's like, no, no, no. It's not really about whether I'm right on this or whether I'm not, or whether you're right or whoever's right. Let's figure out the truth together. Let's find out, you know, based on this data, let's go forward from here. And like, you know, we'll find points along the way where it's like, uh, you know, oh, we were wrong about this. Let's correct. And then, then try to go, but always pursuing the truth, this, this throwing up your hands and being like, you know, well, there's two points of this. If there's, if, if you're just dead certain that it's like, well, you, if you don't get the vaccine, you're a racist. Like, and there's just no mm-hmm. arguing. I mean, that's its own horror, but like, but I think a more common one is just this, you know, if you push too hard, especially, you know, if what friends or family, you get this kind of like, look, let's agree to disagree. It's like, yeah, but can't we talk about it anymore? Like, why don't I we talk the, about it? I think the problem with that is that the talking anymore means that they have to be a little bit the other person a little bit willing to engage new data and actually you know uh, attack it circle it think about it and discern for themselves whether that new data can be incorporated harmless uh, harmoniously with their own data that they have brought to the table as well or if it's so polar that it means they then have to choose a side in the battle and I think the truth is like adding like more yarn to the ball. You have to layer it on and layer it on and layer it on instead of like pulling things apart. Um, yeah, and I think the problem is that um, people just don't want to engage any more new data uh, other than what's been professionally brought to them. You know, look at it this way. Um, listening to doctors who are experts on a podcast on YouTube comes off as sort of like the poor man's solution to knowledge. Like, you know, it's just, you can get on YouTube as long as you have an internet connection, it's free. Right. But when you pay your $100 Rogers bill every month for your fancy television, and that's where your biggest bill goes towards, and now you have all these television channels and these experts weighing the data that they're giving you versus somebody you listen to on your laptop, just by definition, people are going to, I think, gravitate to that, which is the larger industry, because mm. they're going to see validity in that industry. Right. Right. Um, yeah, they're on TV. They're most, on TV. Uh, I pay $200 a month for my bill. This has to be the doctors that I listen to, right. as opposed to the one I saw on my cell phone for 15 seconds. Right. Right. So the problem is, is that I think a lot of people just don't want to engage any extraneous new doctors that they are not represented on the on the platform in which they're already going. If right. those doctors were on that platform, they may very well engage with the information you're talking about. But I think it's the 
definition of the platform. You know, in the States, it's so polarized. If a doctor shows up on Fox, nobody listening to CNN will ever listen to them. Right. Right. Even though it's on TV. So that's something that's already on the same sort of, you know, at least it's on the television. Imagine when you break it down a few levels more and go into podcasts mm-hmm. and whatnot. I, I would even go a step further. And I think that it's it's more that it's become so easy for media to put forth a narrative and to keep it on point that it seems it's just the the amount of work that the average person would have to put in to overcome that and then find out the real answer like these podcasts are like two hours two and a half mm-hmm. hours like mm-hmm. i mean you really have to be invested like that's just mm-hmm. one story and if it, you know and if it has contradictory information it's like it's like oh like now i have to go back and like actually look at this article and like i don't have the time for this in the era of convenience it's very inconvenient it is it is and i think that's a big part of the problem is like and and the media makes it easy for you it's like don't don't even bother with that that's yeah. that's crazy like you're not an anti-vaxxer like this is look at the experts we have or i do find sometimes there's this sort of the uh, and you might find this on regular legacy media as well well you know these are what our experts present and this is why we think it's the right thing to do and then they will show the worst of the offenders <laughs> from the opposing point of view. Right, right. 5G, microchips in your yeah. arms, flat earthers. <laughs> right, right. And you turn for a second mm-hmm. and you engage that data and go, oh my Lord, that's horrific. <laughs> right. And then the head directly turns back to the shadows on the wall and says, this is my master, this is my truth. Not realizing that there may be a third, fourth, fifth, 100th path to take. Right. They present for a very brief second the worst of the other side, because they know you're going to be, as a human, a little bit curious. Mm-hmm. They'll present you the worst only to guide you back to the the well-padded, secure uh, cell in which they prepared for you. So, so question, why would the media have this agenda? We talk about the they again. So, like, oh. is it like, why why would the media want to promote this? Is har- the, well, is like, the media independent? Okay, let's say, so for example, because you could say, well, the CBC, mm-hmm. um, you know, or well, look at CNN. Mm-hmm. They're, they're or at least, I, I mean, I don't know what their, who their parent company is or whatever, but like um, they're ostensibly uh, independent. So why wouldn't they, wouldn't it even be in their benefit to have two opposing things to? I think there's two reasons. I don't know how independent they are. If you dig deeper into which are the parent companies that own them, and um, if those parent companies have any ties to pharmaceutical companies, that would be... I have yeah. seen things, but I don't want to just say something I'm not 100% certain about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to look at their advertising dollars, and where do they actually come from? And I do believe there, in the States particular, there is a lot of advertising dollars that come in from Big Pharma. And so that's one of the two components. Mm-hmm. The other component is that if you are CNN or Fox, due to this very you know, partisan, uh, polar opposite approach to just life in the States, red States, blue States, it's just one or two options. That's all you have. They're going to play to their base. So they're going Mm. to simply provide information in which they know their core viewers are tuning in for. So as opposed to giving you a little bit of everything, even 80-20, because we know most of our viewers want to hear the 80, they're going to give 100% to the 80%. Right. And then the 20, like, we'll see you later, go somewhere else. So I, I, the only solution is you have to listen to a lot of resources, podcasts, different news channels, and put in a lot of time. The number of people that put down Joe Rogan all the time but have never actually spent, you know, five minutes listening to him is 
you know, people that I interview, anyone who's actually spent time listening to him usually has at least a sympathetic ear towards what he's doing. Right. You know? Yeah. And those who don't are people who have never put any time into him whatsoever. Yeah. The uh, people castigating him as, uh, you know, uh, I mean, he's ridiculed only by people who have never listened to him. You know, know? people just see the shiny head, the muscles. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He likes to eat elk. You know, and right, he does UFC right. and he's on Fear Factor yeah. making people eat spiders. There's a UFO you know, like, fetish. You're right, right? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm not listening to that Joe Rogan. They literally have him a couple steps away from Alex Jones. Right, right, know, right. Which he's had on the show yeah. multiple yeah. times, you know. Um, so then they chuck him into that category mm. and then they talk to you about horse dewormer and this and that and they're done. Yeah. They do not put any more time into that. Yeah, and they and it's crazy that they don't listen to us because I, I really believe that, you know, I mean, I haven't... I've watched probably about you know five percent maybe of his of his podcast like mm-hmm. over the years, but it's like um, maybe not even that high. But like you, you really get the sense when when he's having a conversation, he's looking for the truth. He's asking questions. He's listening to the people. Mm-hmm. There's no like agenda, you know. There's no like um, uh, he really seems to be somebody. And I think this is why he's so attractive to so many people. Is like mm-hmm. he seemed to be almost like an everyman looking for the truth, which is what you know we are all on some level. That's us. Well, and the beautiful thing about the three-hour format which he's one of the pioneers of is that as humans we evolved to be sitting around the campfire talking for three four hours yeah trying yeah. to get along with those around the campfire and there's lots of space for um uh yeah i see what you th- oh uh, oh now okay it's instead good. of these short little micro bites you get in four minute segments on cnn or fox or whatever yeah i think we're we're thirsty for that as a as a as a culture, we need, like, I feel nourished when I, when I listen to some of these long, most people do. Yeah. And, uh, it's just that it's, it's time consuming and we live in a very busy world and, uh, people just don't have the energy to put into that. Um, to, like you said, you, you love, you, you're a big fan of Joe Rogan's podcast, but you only ever really got around to 5% of them. Yeah. So then imagine those pumps two out are, one every other day. It's like, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a big body of work actually. Yeah. And, and for me, I just think to also like I think of like little Greek taverns where old men would meet at 10 o'clock in the morning and sit till lunchtime, one thirty-two, drinking their ouzo and raki, reiki and stuff from the first thing in the morning. And uh, and just having these, uh, you know, very um, opinionated. But, um, you know, no one ever left the cafe because they didn't like what the opinion of someone else. They would sit there and just debate one another. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a very tribal, um, societal natural evolutionary process that unfolds there that you get from a three-hour podcast that we do not get from a 45-minute news segment. Yeah. And um, the 45-minute news segment really kind of terrifies me because it's punchy, it's short. Um, the duration of time means it has to be hyper-focused. You know, just like tweets can only allow you to be so nuanced in your response. Mm-hmm. It actually, I think it, it might actually even like reformat our brains to pick a side with little information very quickly and then move on. Yeah. You know, we've all just, we see it with children using iPads at the age of two now before they know how to pick up a pencil. Right. So I think we've all been formatted to just absorb information in that way now. And it's um, not doing us any service. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, Okay, well, I think we should just wrap this up. Uh, Like, I'm sure we'll have another show on the pandemic of Mm -hmm. uh, the sum. I hope that this one in some way uh, explain to people listening, you know, uh, why we made some of the choices we made and, you know, not even saying that they're right. And one of the big problems I always had was like, you know, people would, 
you know, there's no, I was never certain about anything, you know, I, I never proclaimed any sort of truth with authority because I, I don't know. And I don't think anybody does. So and it's I, kind of, I hope to be wrong about all of this. Yeah, <laughs> I have no, yeah, exactly. no dog like, in the game. I, I have I just watching what unfolds yeah, and yeah. I'm curious. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, people who just assume they're right right away. Like, I don't, I don't care to be right about any of this. I would love to just trust the narrative and move with it. It'd be so much easier. Well, you could just do so many other things that you want to do in life instead of having to defend your principles, yep. you know, like. And I've put a lot of hours in the last two years into this. And um, it's changed the way I view the world on multiple levels. I'd almost call it like a call it a pandemic of modernity or something, because it's 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 it goes well beyond the mandates that we're living today, you know. And um, we need to. That's like as you're to your point. We'll be talking more about all these things because the underlying issue here is uh, like what have we how have we created society how have we structured how we find information absorb information and deal with any new information and how that affects um, the way in which we interact with each other in a civil society right down to within families you literally right. have families who don't want to sit at the dinner table anymore with each other based on f different uh, misinformation malinformation whatnot yeah yep well said um and uh I think we'll leave it there. And thank you for listening. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye.